Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And I'm so happy today to welcome a good dear friend of mine, Josh Tatsuo Cullen. Welcome, Josh. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Yay. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Where are you joining us from today? Today, I'm in Chicago. I've been here for the last month, and I'm here for another month doing the national tour of Frozen. Awesome. So listeners, if Frozen is coming to a town near you, go check in the pit and maybe Josh will be there. Maybe Josh will be <laughs> yeah. conducting the night you're there. It might, it might happen. <laughs> Josh was a grad student at NYU while I was working there. And let me just say, I am a very, very good piano player. But Josh is quite literally 10 times better at wow. the piano than I am. Wow. He's like... <laughs> Maybe the best player I know in real life. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. That's, well, thank you. I, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. Caleb, Caleb you, you are it's an incredible true. piano player. It's okay. It's not true. Um, I mean, I did, I did play piano like for a long time, just, just as you did, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Second question for our yeah. new guests. Can you tell us a little bit about Team Cullen, your family growing up and your family now? Yeah. So that's my dad's name. My dad died when I was 16. Wow. Same as Melissa. Yeah, I just, that oh. resonated. I, don't, I feel my... bad just tossing oh that my in. Gosh. Like, I was totally and now I'm gonna... laughing about it and making it worse. Oh. But... No, I was totally yeah. going to say that. That's that's me too. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, uh, so he died, and then, uh, so it was my mom, and then I have a younger brother and younger sister. My mom uh, got remarried. She's now living in uh, Alabama with my grandmother, her mother, and her new husband, and my sister and her husband. Wow. Um, yeah, they've all uh, they've all relocated there, I mean, and none of us is from Alabama, but... Um, my sister's husband is originally from there. And so they settled there. They had some kids. And then, you know, my mom and grandma wanted to do the grandma and great grandmother things. So they, <laughs> they moved out there. And so, uh, yeah, they're all in Alabama. That's very Braverman like just all of them living in the same spot. So look at that. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah. I mean, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, they don't, so they don't all live in the same house, but I mean, they live in the same town. And, that's that's uh, the Bravermans right there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Fun. Well, who's in your immediate family today? Uh, my husband, Sheldon is not with me right now, but he's, uh, he's in San Diego. So I'm on tour. He's back in San Diego. He's he's doing his uh, his master's at San Diego State. Awesome. Um, and he's got one more semester left. So he'll graduate in May. And then if I'm still on tour, then he'll come join me on tour, maybe. Or maybe he'll just go get a job someplace and I'll leave the tour and and uh, go be with him. But um, for now, we're <laughs> doing this long distance thing. That's hard. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We've done it before. You know, this is not my first time touring. So, um you know, we, we've been through it. Um, also, you know, I was in the army and I was in Afghanistan when, when, uh, when we first started dating. So, uh, we've been through a lot, <laughs> but yeah, so it's Sheldon. And then, you know, I can't forget, we have a cat, uh, Phoebe, uh, who's, uh, who's been, who's been part of our life, uh, our, our lives, uh, for almost as long as we've known each other. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, last question. What was your history with the show Parenthood? I had never seen it. I'd never even heard of it. I 
don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch a lot of movies. I have a hard time following what's going on a lot of the time. So (laughs) (laughs) we really threw you into the. So when you when you asked me to when you asked me to come on this on this podcast, I was really nervous about it. I I mean, I went to like a a gifted school where they like they wanted to do everything differently. You know, like the teachers had all like they all, all wanted to be like innovative and like new new ways of teaching. I don't think we ever did book reports. Like I was never part of a book club, never part, you know, I, like, so I've never done anything like this before. <laughs> I don't watch TV. When, when you told me about the show, so I'm saying in this Airbnb right now, I, I hadn't even turned on the TV. I had to figure out how to turn on the TV. <laughs> and, and then like, I had to like get Hulu so, to watch oh, it. No. <laughs> it was, so like, it was a real adventure. That was very nice of you to do this for us. That- <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, was, I was super interested to, to know what this was about. So I was happy to do it. But- well, we are very happy that you are here. Thank you so much. Today, we are discussing Parenthood Season 4, Episode 9, You Can't Always Get What You Want. It was written by Bridget Carpenter, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on November 27th, 2012, and here is the DVD synopsis. Julia struggles with her recent career decision while Joel contemplates his future. Meanwhile, Sarah is forced to make a difficult decision affecting her personal and professional life. I'm going to share an anecdote that I've thought about sharing several times. But I've never shared it. Today's the day. Today is the day. This episode (laughs) is written by Bridget Carpenter, who is also a writer on a lot of Friday Night Lights and has gone on to do lots of other things. One of those other things was the stage musical version of Freaky Friday. Oh. And I filled in for like two days on a workshop of that musical They were short a pianist and I had just been doing something else with Disney and they're like, are you free to come do this? And I was. And I was most interested in Bridget Carpenter. I didn't even really get to meet her. I mean, she was in the room and I knew which person she was. But because I was such a huge Parenthood fan and this was right around, this would have been 2015. So the show had just ended. Wow. Peak, peak excitement yeah. about the show. And I, you know, I slightly regret that I never like snuck over and just said, I love Parenthood. I love Friday Night Lights. Aww. You're a wonderful writer. But <laughs> Bridget, if you're listening, I think you're a wonderful writer and I'm a Aww. big fan. <laughs> I, that's such a cool story. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with a storyline that I really remember vividly. But not fondly. Um, Yes, I'd like to uh, speak with the owner or uh, manager of this establishment. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, Well, Adam's not here right now, but uh, Crosby's Crosby's in a session, but he'll be out soon if you want to. Oh, in there? Excuse me, I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, Excuse me. Hey, 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 you can't just go in there. This is one of you and the owner. I am so sorry. She just burned The owner. I am Crosby Braverman. Hi. Hi, who are Marley's. you? Marlies. I'm Marlies. I just Hi. moved into the building next door. Okay. Uh, welcome to the neighborhood. How, what's Yeah, what's you the know problem? what would be great? If I could park in either one of my two, two designated parking spaces okay. for my building that I paid for, but there. I currently can't because somebody is blocking I can move the van. Um, Amber and they've move. been blocked every single time I've tried to park there. Every time. And there's constant noise coming from the alley every night. And it's always after 11. Okay. Yeah, uh, and there's smoking, smoking. Yeah. Everybody's smoking under my windows. Well, it's, it's 
disgusting. There's cigarette Marlene, butts. Marlene, I would love... It's Marlies. Would, it's Marlies. It's French. Great. So I'd plants, be happy to talk to the horrible. musicians, but let's work this out when I'm not with No, I can talk clients. now. I want to talk now. Well, I want okay, to well, I heard you talk. I, I will we'll take a list moves. of complaints. I would love to hear more yeah, about all the things back. we're doing I, incorrectly here. Yeah, just here. finish doing okay. it. Let's just not, you know... That leather, yeah. Welcome to the neighborhood. Do we all hate Marlies? Because I do. <laughs> um, here's my quick opinion. I had remembered hating her. And the, my first watch, because, you know, we do two for the, the show. My first watch, I was like, yeah, she's the worst. And then I, like, looked up that actress and realized she's in a million things. And I have... Pamela Adlon. Yes. Is her name. I have a lot of really fond memories of her and other things. Namely, Say Anything, which is one of my very favorite movies. I can't believe I've never put that together before. She just played one of John Cusack's friends. Hey, I know this is a strange thing to say, but maybe Diane Court really likes Lloyd. And then she was in Grease 2. I am the rare person who loved Grease 2 more than Grease. I'm just, I know, controversial opinion. Um, but she's Dolores. You're a cool writer. I'm a cool writer. <laughs> um, and she's hilarious in that, like in a sort of like little kid overacting kind of way. Dolores Rebchuk. Some jerks call me Woodchuck or Upchuck, but I prefer Dolores. Got it? And once I made that connection, I just decided for my second watch that she was hilarious. And if I approached her as being hilarious instead of the bane of Crosby's existence, I just sat back and enjoyed the ride, noticing things like it's Marlies. French you know I'm like that's <laughs> funny I don't know like I mean if I just was like wow she is a nightmare but she's not my nightmare I find her entertaining <laughs> so that, I don't know there are my thoughts about about her that's kind of what I, I thought too like I when I was watching it I, I couldn't help but just wonder like how much of that was improvised yeah. like you know just because the timing of it was so natural and and they're talking over each other which is you know, like it's kind of funny, like when we're like directing a, a Broadway show, like a musical, right? Like you're just trying to get people to to like, you know, oh, just you know, you just got to keep talking, and then you've got to interrupt her. You know, you've 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 got to you know, and like we're directing people to do that. And it's so hard to get people to do that, and so just like watching that that scene where she, it's just it's brilliant. You know, I I couldn't I I couldn't you know stop and think about like whether I liked her. I just thought that you know this, this actress is so funny and so brilliant, and this is great. That's perfect. She has a million credits. Like when I was looking them up, I thought, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. You might know her from, but she's maybe best known as the voice of Bobby on King of the Hill. Do you take this burger to be your dinner? And for that role, she won an Emmy. So this is an Emmy award winning actress. That's cool. And I've never seen that show before. But I, I haven't even nope. either, really. But then I played like a bunch of clips just to hear what Bobby even sounded like. And it was a really hilarious voice. I was like, that is funny. And I do like the idea that a teenage boy is voiced by a woman. I think that's fun. You know, it's whimsical. I don't know. <laughs> and then they never have to worry about their voices changing. Right. Like Bart Simpson, too. Yeah. Anyway, oh, well, true. did you think Marlies had valid complaints? Like I was I was thinking like if she does have designated parking spaces, I do think she should be able to park in them. Mm -hmm. I did also know it's like I don't quite understand why there's a noise after 11. They're like, not supposed to re record after 11. Who's recording that? in the middle of the night? But then I was like, well, the kind of recording that I've done is all very traditional like business hours. Maybe rock and rollers do it differently, <laughs> but like musical theater, they record their cast albums starting at 10 in the morning. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
But Marlies has never spoken to anyone at the luncheonette before, and this was her first. That's it. Tactic. That's I'm it. I'm just going to barge in and start yelling. I thought she had like, very good points, but I'm like, who would think that that would work? She sounds nuts. Like that's the thing. <laughs> she makes good points, but like, why is that? Yeah, day one isn't day one. Like, hi, I'm Marlies. It's French. Just so, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, there are a few little issues. Uh, sorry that this is the first time we're meeting. You know, like I just I can't imagine barging in like that. But I, you know, I also wonder if that's what she would have said had her first interaction not have been with Amber pulling. <laughs> chewing gum out of Ryan's mouth. Uh, I mean, clearly like talking to Amber was not going to get her anywhere. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wonder, you know, that's like, fair. I was just really grossed out by that, that I couldn't even focus. Like it was one of those things. I was like, this is horrible. I don't care how intimate, like that's too intimate. That's crossed over to a land where I never want to live with anyone. Uh, very good point. Yeah, really. That did not set things off on the most professional <laughs> footing. <laughs> well, it did provide an excuse for Julia and Crosby to get together, which I feel like we don't get much of. And I just enjoyed seeing them together. I'm curious to know what you think about the advice that Julia gave Crosby. This is what she filed with the city. Yeah. She calls it an official complaint, but it says zoning notice on it. So what does that mean? Let me take a what look at it. What is she trying to pull oh, with this thing? Oh, gosh, Crosby. Let me take a look at it. In fact, I will have my colleague who deals with municipal complaints take a look at it for you. I'm sure it's no big deal. I want to bury this woman. I think that I have a defamation case against her. She's assassinating it, your character? But yeah, she walked in in front of clients in the middle of a session and started blasting my character. So yeah, defamation does not seem out of the realm of possibility or maybe okay. a restraining order or something. All right. I'm going to give you my best legal advice. Okay. What is your best legal advice? Be nice. Do not inflame the situation nice anymore. Your, Do not suggestion. engage this Not an woman. injunction or no. some kind of seizure no, or uh, vacate the print. Do not talk to her. And if perchance you encounter her, just be nice to her. What does Adam say about it? He doesn't say anything because I'm t handling this. I'm going to handle it like I handle my business. Okay. I think that's good advice for almost any occasion. <laughs> that's true. You ask a stupid question. <laughs> I don't think that's a stupid question. And now I'm trying to think, where would it be good advice to say, be mean? Like, seriously, when is that good advice? Like, just be get in there, be mean. Like a boxing match? Like, like you know, be nice <laughs> seems like bad advice if you're in a boxing match. <laughs> I don't think you'll win. You'll just tap the guy on the shoulder and then he'll punch you in the face. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> Josh, what do you think? Was that good advice? <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was good advice too. I, I mean, to, you asked a really good question. Like, when would that not be good advice? And I suppose that there's, you know, there's this whole, you know, way of thinking that you have to lay down the, the rules from the beginning, right? You can't let people walk all over you. And like, you know, the, the, the first time you let something happen, you've just enabled that, right? So like maybe, you know, Crosby in his mind, he's thinking this like, no, we have, I can't, she can't be walking in here. We can't let, you know, so, so he's thinking that he's got to, he's got to not let her get away with any bit of it. But I mean, I, I do happen to think that like Marlies really 
is her her points are totally valid. like I'm a musician. I'm always thinking about like disturbing the neighbors because I've had neighbors who have complained and, and I've, I've really I mean, I've, I've felt bad about it. I, like, well, why don't they have soundproofing in a recording studio? Like, like, well, I don't understand that. Like, yeah, I don't even um, know how they can record if it's right, not soundproofed. You, right. Like who, as a musician, who would book time in a recording studio that doesn't have soundproofing in it for like, you know, some crazy person or car horns or the fire engine coming down the street in your city. like, you don't want that stuff on your, it's, it's, it's just, it's mind boggling to me that that's the situation, but, uh. But no, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's really good advice. I mean, he has to be nice to her because she's totally right and he's totally wrong. I, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. Maybe that it doesn't seem uh, like it's like a gray area. It's I don't know. Yeah. Uh-huh. When you phrased it better than I did, which is like, is that good advice that the goal is not? No, I'm going to lay down the rules right now. There's, I've heard Sarah Silverman use this image of porcupine needles that, you know, when someone comes after you, it puts your porcupine needles up. And she's like, we all just need to put our porcupine needles down. And I thought that's really kind of what Julia was saying. Wasn't like, go to her in a moment of peace to let her know, like, I'm not your enemy. And I'm happy to listen to what is bothering you. And I'm happy to endeavor to change it. She wasn't, so I guess it only works if like both parties put their porcupine needles down. That's true. Yeah, that's true. She did say, "Don't go to her. Don't go to her." Right? But true. that's exactly what he did. He went and and went up to her her fence with a basket yeah. uh, of CDs of music that she obviously wasn't going to like. I mean. So he didn't really follow her advice. That's true. I, I don't know. She wants less of that music in <laughs> right. her life. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's true. Or maybe the basket should have just been only wine. Yeah, that like, went well, over well. Like multiple yeah. bottles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And money to help her pay for her yeah. condo. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see where Marlies goes. I remember, I in my mind, it was like many many episode arc that she was on but i think she's only in one more episode <laughs> i think it's two episodes and then she's gone but. all right stay tuned for the exciting conclusion next week on parenthood pals <laughs> yeah, i never Marley's do that that was part very two. weird <laughs> part two that's my french it's yo because she's french oh yeah. damn it that was good all right Well, let's go on to another storyline, which is the biggest reason I thought of inviting you, Josh, onto this episode. As you mentioned, you served in the army, as did Ryan, obviously. (laughs) Something we haven't learned about Ryan yet was what led him to enlist. And so I, I would love to know, just with you, what led to you enlisting? Like, I know you trained as a pianist and you had two degrees in piano. What makes a concert pianist decide, no, I'm going to go in the army instead? That's true. That's fascinating. I, you haven't even said your answer yet. And I'm super interested. <laughs> oh, so much pressure now. Like, I don't oh, want to no. disappoint. Okay. I don't want to no. disappoint. Hold on. I've just <laughs> no, no. lowered my expectations a lot. <laughs> just, so don't even worry I'm about just, it. I'm just kidding. So there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, the reason that I usually tell people because it seems to make the most sense in the context is, is that um, I joined the army in 2003, which is two years after September 11th. And when I had first started going to Juilliard, it was in September 2001. 
Wow. Um, huh. Yeah, I had just moved there and I had just started my my master's degree in piano at Juilliard. And I was in ear training class that morning, learning, you know, to hear intervals and whatever. And like, you know, the, the Twin Towers come crashing down. And I was just thinking to myself, like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I learning ear training? Like, why am I doing a degree in, in piano to play music that I'm not sure that I even think is important or that anybody cares about anymore? I mean, these people are all dead and, and people have already played it and it's already been recorded. And, you know, and then eventually I'm going to enter a piano competition. I'm not going to win because only one person wins. And so I, you know, it was just kind of this this feeling of like, what am I doing does what I do matter to anyone? And in the aftermath of September 11th, there was, you know, a, a lot of people were were trying to to figure out what they could do to to help. You know, they were going uh, and, and volunteering, and they were translating, and they were donating blood, and they were, you know, you had all these medical people who were coming in from wherever, and they, you know, um, and I just felt like the skills that I was going to school for just weren't, you know, they weren't useful. Um, I mean, they weren't immediately useful. I, I joined I joined the army thinking that like I'm going to go and do something that matters to people, and I mean, and that's one way of justifying. But the the other, you know, the probably the a, a more truthful answer, mm-hmm. it kind of goes back to like where my my childhood. I I told you that I I went to a gifted school and then I was homeschooled and then uh, like I had a weird childhood and, and I, I didn't watch any TV and I I, I didn't have a lot of friends and. I just felt like I just missed out on this whole like growing up experience. And you also went to college really early, right? Yeah. Yeah. I went to college when I was 13. Oh, wow. Because I was like my my dad who died when I was 16. He was an opera singer and he wanted me to like have a career like playing concerts. And so he introduced me to every conductor that that he had ever gone to school with that he ever worked with. And, you know, and that was the thing I was supposed to go play concerts in. I missed a lot of school as a result of it because I was like always traveling and, you know, and then, and then my, my teachers would, would, you know, some of them were, were accommodating, some of them were less accommodating and, and, and it became really hard to like make up the work and stuff. So my parents decided to homeschool me. So I was homeschooled, didn't have any friends, didn't grow up. I didn't, I didn't go to the dance the, the dance that Max, you know, didn't yeah. want to go to, I, you know, it's all, so th- those experiences, actually a lot of, a lot of Max's interactions, I feel like I, I kind of identify with, I, I'm not saying that I have Asperger's, I, I don't think I have Asperger's, I, but, but I mean, I, I identify with, you know, like being, like feeling socially anxious and like not having, or not thinking that I have the same social background that that people had growing up. So I I joined the army thinking that this was going to be my way of like reclaiming high school and reclaiming, you know, my membership in American society and trying to figure out what that is and what, what does that mean? And how do I fit into that? Of course, I was gay too. So that like didn't really help because I, you know, I couldn't really, you know, be myself. So I, so my, 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 my interactions were pretty strained, um, to, to say the least with wow. people. But yeah, <laughs> that was, that was, those are the, the two main reasons I joined the army. Like one was for, for my, myself to figure out like, am I an American? Like, do, do I fit into society in some way? Like, what is like, who, who am I and how do I fit in? And then the other was because I felt like music didn't have an immediate benefit to anyone, which, which I learned eventually that it was something I wanted to come back to. 
why I got out. But and yeah. music is very grateful. <laughs> uh, Let me tell you. <laughs> now, where did you do your um, basic training? Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And then where did you go from there? Um, so when I first, when I enlisted, I was supposed to be, a, I was supposed to be a, a translator. And so I went to language school. I went to the Presidio of Monterey. They have a, a school, the Defense Language Institute. And I was originally going to learn Arabic. And then when I revealed to the drill sergeant that I had studied Japanese in school, they had an opening in a Korean class. And they thought that with my knowledge of Japanese, that Korean would be a stronger fit for me. So they moved me to the Korean class. So I, I learned Korean and then I promptly went to Iraq. <laughs> so um, I never got stationed in Korea, but wow. um, yeah. My goodness. And then what did you do in Iraq? I was an interrogator. That was my first job. And then, you know, you don't always do your job, like the thing that you're, you're, your specialty, they call it an MOS. You don't always do that. Sometimes they have a use for it and sometimes they don't. But my first, my first deployment, I was working as an interrogator. And you said you went to Afghanistan as well. How many deployments mm -hmm. did you have? You were in the army for 10 years, correct? Total? Yeah, a little over 10 years. I don't remember how many deployments. Um, it was... It was one long deployment to Iraq. That was the first deployment. And then I went to Afghanistan a few times after that. And were you interrogating primarily in Afghanistan as well? Or did you have a different mm, no, MOS, I, if I use that correctly? Uh, well, that my MOS stayed the same. I did do some interrogations. But most of the time, I was driving trucks. And I was reading reports and writing reports and giving briefings and that kind of thing. By this point in the Afghanistan war, we had enough people to fill the detention facilities and, and do the interrogation. So I wasn't directly involved in that. I was directly supporting the units that were doing other missions. So what led to you ultimately leaving? I met my husband um, <laughs> uh, in Hawaii. Uh, this was shortly after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. And I started going out and I met my husband and then I got deployed again. And when I found out that I was being deployed again, I protested, basically. I said, look, I just deployed. And there's a whole bunch of people who here who, who have not deployed. And this is getting a little ridiculous. And it was also kind of, you know, when I started to, to realize that, like, maybe I didn't want to keep doing the army. Like, maybe, maybe I didn't want to do the 20 years. You have to do 20 years to retire, right? And I thought, you know, maybe I'm not going to do the 20 years. And they talked to me and they said, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's true. You, you know, so the, the, these other people haven't deployed yet. We're, we're going we're to deploy them. And that didn't happen. I deployed. And so I well, said, okay, well, this is going to be my last deployment. I, I don't want to do this. And I got out. <laughs> I got out after that. Yeah. How long were you and your husband long distance then? Um, well, we had been dating for like maybe two or three months before I got the deployment. And Whoa. so then I was deployed for, um, I guess it was like nine months. So we did that. And then, um, and I got back and then, and then I had a few months left before I could get out. That is an intense start to a relationship. It must've been <laughs> yeah. You know? like, yeah. yeah, you must've known that this was someone very important to you, you know, like you were going to leave. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it kind of changed the course of your whole life. That's beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you never know what's going to happen, but I, I I felt different, you know, like after after what, you know, I met him and then I thought this gives me a whole new reason to be happy, you know, like I, I can find fulfillment and, and think about a future that doesn't involve going on deployments, which, you know, I really, I really appreciated the opportunity to go and do this and to to feel like I was making a difference. And, and you know, and I was making a, some some difference. I, I don't know, you know, how much of a difference it made in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, there's a lot that we couldn't figure out why we were doing the things that we were doing, but we were doing them and we were doing them the best that we could. But there's also this feeling that somebody has to do these things and I have to do them. I'm here to do them. But then, you know, I realized that it, it, after you you do all these deployments and each time you you get ready to go back home, you prepare for the person who's going to come and replace you. And you realize that there's always somebody who's going to come and replace you. Th that's never a question. There's always somebody ready to come in and, and do this and to take it over. And I realized that I don't have to do this. I, I've done this and there will be people to come in and take this over. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think about this, this, you know, sense of duty. It's like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. And, and, you know, there, there aren't enough people to do this, but no, there's, there's people to do it. I, <laughs> I can't in any way relate to like most of what you just said, I'm, but I'm I wanted sorry. to say, no, 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 no. I just mean on the very, very smallest of scales, I yeah. do know that I used to like go to work like sick. I used to not in the COVID era. Um, but when I first started teaching, I was too much of a perfectionist. And, and I also like really thought I shouldn't be absent because only I can do this, you know? And, and I felt like, what will happen if I have a sub? Like it, it won't, it won't go as well. I, I felt too much responsibility or something. And then I had to realize like, well, sometimes your life takes precedence over your work and, and someone else can in fact do it. And maybe it's our like work obsessed culture that makes us think only we can do it. Or I don't know that that was the, I do not mean to compare teaching to going to war. Um, that is not the same. <laughs> I do really realize that, but I do think that's an well, interesting thing you said. Yeah, I want to respond to two things in that, if I can. I don't yeah, know if this yeah. you, you could edit this out if you want, but but I mean the the first thing is that so when when I was handing over my job to somebody else on deployment, we almost always and we were very fortunate for this. We almost always had a had an overlap period where I got to meet the person who was taking it over, and I got to to say all the things that I wanted to say, and and even in cases where we didn't, you know, I would write all these things down and. But but most of the time I would meet them and you would realize that these people, you know, are very eager to come and do this and they want to do it and they and they're ready to do it and they've been waiting to do it. And, you know, if you're teaching and you call out sick or something, you don't have that luxury, right? You don't get to meet with the person who's going to teach your class for the day, right? I mean, you don't get to say all these things about that this, this student needs this and this. You don't. So I think it's a little bit of a different experience. But the second thing that I really want to respond to is this idea that like, oh, my gosh, I just compared, you know, teaching to going to war and, and the, you know, those things are not the same. And I have to, you know, I have to, I just, I mean, and maybe this is the thing that, that I kind of had the strongest reaction to in, in the show in, in general is just this idea that like we have to portray veterans and, and military people as these people who cannot be understood and like we have not been in their shoes and so we cannot even begin to imagine what that experience is like and you know we're just so different we will never understand 
I mean, it's one of the things that kind of, you know, before I joined the army, I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm I'm going to get to go and, and see what it's like. And all these people who say that, you know, this is a, a life that you'll never understand because you've never done it. You never walked a, a, a you know, it's like, I OK, I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to see what this is actually like. I, you know, I just I have such a, a strong reaction to that. I just I, I mean, I don't think that that's true. I think that there's so much that we, we can understand about it. And I resent that people feel like they have to like put veterans like on a pedestal and or somehow that they they will never understand that experience i mean it's not like we weren't people before like who went (laughs) who like you know came from the same families went to the same schools had the same experiences and and knew the same people I, i so um yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that in this episode where I feel like, oh, you know, we're portraying Ryan as this veteran, this, you know, this miss, like we will never understand what Zeke and Ryan went through. And, uh, you know, that's what makes their bond so strong. And and then, you know, of course, we have to acknowledge that they have PTSD and, you know, it's going to take them time to get through it, which is true. And, and I mean, it's true. There's a lot of people who have been affected that way, but not everyone is affected that way. And you see, you know, every time you, you talk about veterans, I mean, Ryan even kind of makes a reference to it where he's just like, you know, I don't want to keep being this weird, you know, person that doesn't that has to stay at home and can't be trusted and can't be hired. Like, I'm tired of that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to the VA. I don't want to be associated with you people who are all weird and can't figure out how to reintegrate in society. I'm I, you know, I'm going to figure it out. You know, and that I identify with that, you know, it's like we don't want to be seen as different. We don't want to be put on a pedestal. So we don't want, you know, we just want to be part of society again. You know, can I ask you a really maybe strange question that has yeah, nothing to do with sure. anything, but it just occurred to me. Yeah. How do you feel when people thank you for your service? Does that make you feel like happy and honored or does it make you feel strange and uncomfortable or somewhere in the middle? Both. Yeah. Both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I mean, when people thank me for my service, I almost always say thank you back. Yeah. I mean, I, because I feel like they're expressing their gratitude and I am grateful that they recognize it and that they want to, you know, they want to say that. And I'm not going to tell them that makes me feel uncomfortable or you don't <laughs> have to say that or that's totally unnecessary or I didn't deploy or, you know, like, like none of those things matter. Uh, you know, I, I just say thank you. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's both of those things. You, you, you sit there and you think like, did I deserve to come back when I know that other people didn't? And, mm. you know, what what was your experience that, that led you to say this? And do I need to ask you about your like, it's just it's it's sometimes it's it's difficult to know, you know, what motivates someone to say that and, and what the story is behind it. And wow. yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's 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 both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what really made me think that is I felt struck by the impulse to say that, but this is maybe going to sound bad. I'm not usually someone who does that because I'm not usually around people who have this background. And so even though I would mean it, I would be genuine in thanking you. Part of me feels like it's performative too, if that makes any sense. Like yeah. this is what you're supposed to say. And so instead right. I asked that question, which is a lot more me, which is just to sort of <laughs> ask you like, what is that like when people say that? And hopefully in asking, it would be clear that I, I am grateful for people like you, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That there is something that, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. yeah. These are such 
fascinating points. And it makes me want to ask a question about this scene a little later in the storyline. How'd the interview go? It went. What does that mean? It means, uh, guy looks at me and goes, oh, wow, you're in Afghanistan? You ever kill anybody? <laughs> oh, my God, are you serious? Yeah. I just looked at him. I was like, I mean, I didn't know what to say. You know, I just, <laughs> that was the end of that. Who would say that? What kind of idiot? I mean. It's no big deal. They'll no, it. it is. It's a huge deal. I mean, after all you've been through to just say something, it's just, <sighs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to take a walk real quick. Well, I'll come with you. No, 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 no. I'll be back in a little bit. Ryan, are you sure? Yeah. Now, I noticed something, not on either of my times actually watching the whole episode, but as I was pulling this clip, which was that Ryan seemed fairly nonchalant about this question in the interview until Amber started comforting him. He says it's not a big deal. And then she says, it's a huge deal. And then when she starts like kissing him, he almost like recoils from her. And then he says, I gotta take a walk. And I wonder, I interpreted it the last time as maybe the way he had processed the interview and specifically that question was by like minimizing it mm. as if the question was an annoyance. And then he was just sharing this like kind of funny, annoying thing that happened to him with his girlfriend. But then she reacted in such a way that almost forced him to process it in a different way. And I love I'm not that. sure my interpretation oh. is correct, but Josh, what you said about like, we don't wanna feel like these alien <laughs> beings who've been through something no one can understand there might be an element of like, stop treating this like it was a, a mountain. It was just a molehill. Mm. It made me wonder if one person's denial is like another person's coping mechanism <laughs> in a way. And if that's necessarily a bad thing or if it's just people are different. Yeah, it is really interesting that you that you say that because I also hadn't picked up on it in that way. But I totally agree when Amber got agitated for him and basically, you know, started to make this into a big deal. And his way of dealing with it was to basically just stop talking about it. And it, I need to go for a walk. I hadn't realized just how, how truthful that really feels. I mean, that is, that makes total sense. It, at least for me, you know, she, she means well, but, but she's, she's further delineating this idea that, veterans are misunderstood and mistreated by, you know, insensitive people and, and that this is wrong and that, you know, that you've been wronged and, and um, yeah. And that's his way of dealing with it. The way that Ryan quoted the interviewer as having said, Oh, did, did you kill anyone? Like it was not a serious question, right? It was just somebody being, making a stupid remark because they probably couldn't think of anything witty or or worth asking right that yeah. was the way that he he very clearly made it like it was a stupid joking kind of question yeah listen to this um, idiot that right. i encountered yeah. at my interview right. that was I mean, it was very, almost funny 
very clear from the way that that he said that. Yeah, and yet, and like you said, I I do think she had the best of intentions. I'm not criticizing Amber. I I think she's just trying to Mm -hmm. be as supportive as she can. And I'm also not saying that I think Ryan is processing everything in the most optimal, healthy way either. I, I think denial can be very destructive if it did actually bother him and he's just mm-hmm. pretending that it didn't. That's not a sustainable thing. Mm-hmm. But if it didn't really bother him beyond a kind of superficial level, I think genuine support would be recognizing that and then not convincing him otherwise. Yeah. You should be more upset by this. Right. What did you think, Melissa? No, this is fascinating. Um, this is a maybe another strange correlation, but it made me think about how, um, you know, as a teacher, I have non-binary students and like trans students, and you know, it's important to use their pronouns because you respect them and you want them to know that you respect them. And I can feel so horrible if I misgender someone. I'll be like, oh god, and I have learned that I can't make that a really huge deal. What I have to do is just say, oh yes, sorry, of course, and correct myself and apologize very quickly and then just use the correct pronouns and then move on. Because if I then go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. No, and the the student's like, no, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, it's a huge deal. I I am so sorry. Then they're comforting me when I misgendered them, you you know, (laughs) like, and, and, and so like, I wonder if, I know that's like not the same thing at all, but that was the, the correlation I had in my mind, Ryan wanted this to be a little deal, something that he was just sharing with his girlfriend, like you said, Caleb. And for her saying it's a huge deal is what really triggered that in my mind, because I don't think Ryan wants to then say, no, no, it's fine. And like comfort her in a way like, you know, it like kind of makes it about someone else. Even when Amber's intentions are great. My intentions are great. I mean, I want to call everyone the right thing, but that is another piece of it is uh, you don't want to put like extra labor on people, you know, um, when it's already kind of something touchy, you know, that is maybe triggering for them. So anyway, that was my thought. Definitely. Yeah. Let's hear some of Ryan's interview prep. Well, I can see that there's some big gaps in your job history. Yes, sir. You want to tell me about that? Um, I was serving our country, sir. I was in Afghanistan for two tours. Right. Well, see, here, Ryan, I think you should just tell him you're a self-starter, that you're easily motivated, and this thing about Afghanistan, just say you were gone, now you're back, and that's the end of the story. Okay. Right? Yeah. You know what I did when I first got back? What's that? Well, I sold encyclopedias door-to-door. Encyclopedia? What is that? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Really? That wasn't that funny. How do you carry them all? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, what are you going to tell them about your lack of sales experience? I'll tell them I can assemble an M16 in 35 seconds in the dark under fire. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know. I'll say uh, I re- really look forward to this opportunity, and then I'm extremely motivated. I won't disappoint. All right. Out of boy. You know that? You, you can really assemble an M16 in under 35 seconds. Got that. Ryan's just full of the jokes. I actually wondered if that was like the show's way of showing us that he's very happy with Amber. Because mm, he's that funnier. He's, like in a, he's in a good place and he's making jokes with Zeke. I don't know. Anyway, the real question is, Josh, 
How fast can you assemble an M16? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I ever timed myself. I mean, the, the rifle only gets disassembled to a certain point. And maybe this is not what you're asking. I'm, I'm totally killing the humor in this. But like, you know, as <laughs> as, a, as a soldier, you know, like you're not you're like I'm not a person who's going to like you know, disassemble this into a million pieces. It only gets dis disassembled in, into so many pieces. Right. And then if you take any more of those pieces apart, then you have the risk of losing them. And, and you know, so there's there's some things that you're not even like authorized to take apart. Like once you take the bolt down to a certain point, you can't take this pin out because if you take this pin out then this spring comes out and then that's really hard to get back into place and so you know you only disassemble it to a certain point right Th this is the, the 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 authorized point that you as a regular soldier disassemble it to and then it was just a matter of putting those pieces back together i mean it's you know the puzzle only has so many pieces and you, you know it's just like practicing skills you do the scale over and over and over again until you can do it with your eyes closed and you're not thinking about it it's not really that big of a deal i mean it sounds impressive i i, I also think that it also sounds like like very dramatic, you know, you said, well, I put together an M16 trip, but yes, I, I mean, and he's making jokes. He's funny, right? Like you say, he's, he's, he's making jokes. These are the things that, you know, the stereotypes that I feel like veterans get placed on them. You know, when we, when we go to job interviews, we, we go in there and we, we just use all this jargon and we, you know, we use acronyms and, and, you know, all we, we just refer to everything like, like so some war experience, but 35 seconds that that seems pretty standard i <laughs> i don't know and like it's just it's completely arbitrary right i mean the the point to which you disassemble it to is an arbitrary point the number of pieces you decide to do is arbitrary and so the number of seconds you take is arbitrary it's all arbitrary <laughs> i could barely even tell you what an m16 is you know some kind of firearm I didn't know what it was before I joined the army. And, you know, another thing that's kind of funny, too, is that like if you're a veteran, everybody assumes that you come from a military family. It's like, oh, well, you know, your your dad must have been in or something. Oh, you're from Hawaii. Like, did your did your parents meet in the military or something? Mm. Like, no, actually, no. Like nobody in my family was. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what an M16 was. You hand it to you and you figure it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not that hard. <laughs> Here's another dumb question. Well, potentially dumb, but I think it probably is dumb. Was Zeke telling Ryan not to even say that he served? I thought so, and I thought that seemed like bad advice, but I was like... Because I was like, maybe all he meant was don't say I was serving our country, which I'm like, okay, that does sound a little formal, perhaps. But, but he was like, I'm just like, was say he you saying were... like flat? I was away. Like, yeah, that's not nearly as good because you don't want to be vague on a job application, I don't think. They'll be like, no, 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 like, really, what about these four years? Where where were you? Like, it seems like you were hiding something when, in fact, I would think this would be something that would look good in a lot of ways. You know, like, I don't know. I shouldn't be the I, one no, answering this. Yeah, I thought this. the same thing. I was like, I would think that most people, at least on principle would think well of someone yeah. who'd served and would want to support them. I mean, if they have a horrible interview, maybe not, but... But I feel anyway, like if you're you... being vague about, like, years of your life, I'd be like, is this person in prison? Were they in jail? Like, yeah, yeah. That, that's what yeah. I would... I'm like, just say the, the thing. Okay, sorry, Josh. What's what's your informed opinion as opposed no. to my amateur opinion? No, I, feel, I totally did not take it that way. I thought I thought that he just meant... Don't make the emphasis of your answer that the fact that I went to to war and served my country. Just say, yeah, I went to Afghanistan for four years and now I'm back. Mm -hmm. Like I I didn't get the sense that he was saying, don't say that you went to war. It's just 
like make that part of the like I don't know. You're you're the English teacher. The dependent clause, and then like there's the right, and then there's yes. the the sentence that right. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. That was that was that was what I got from it. But like I'm I'm wondering now, like if I just miss it. Well, no, that well, now that I'm makes sense to me, and and then it makes it feel like good advice yeah. from Zeke. That like Zeke might be trying to steer Ryan in the direction of don't let this one experience define you over yeah everything else yeah yes it was something you did now you want to you know install sprinklers (laughs) i don't know what the job is for (laughs) yeah sorry you mentioned sprinklers and i don't know if this was something that you wanted to talk about or not but i have been trying to figure out what ryan's job was in the army there is as far as i know and as far as i've been able to find there's no such job as an irrigation specialist like that that's not a job like that's not an mos that exists and like to think that we're training people you know sending to basic training and then sending them to advanced individual training is ait for short it's what they call it to install sprinklers i mean that just seems really strange like i i buy that we have people who go and interact with farmers Mm -hmm. i i buy that but that's not they're not irrigation specialists. That's that. I mean, that's like a civil affairs kind of team, or or like a some kind of engagement team. You 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 you. We have all of these jobs that we've created uh, as a result of a need. You know, from the way that the the war is. I mean, the part of what we're doing, we're 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 winning hearts and minds, and we're 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 engaging the local populace. But irrigation specialists, I don't think that exists. The, the closest thing I think is a, is a water purification specialist, uh, which is part of the quartermaster's corps. And, you know, they, they would learn to, to deal with like water testing and, and ensuring the availability of water. I mean, because, you know, that's a universally necessary thing for, for troops anywhere. But yeah, I don't think that that job exists. <laughs> that is so interesting. See, this is the kind of stuff yeah. I'm not going to find from a Google search. <laughs> Maybe I could have, but I didn't even think to do it. I'm, it's occurring to me now, too, if this episode aired in 2012, which it did, did you leave the Army in 2011 or uh, 2013? 2014. Wow. 2014. 2014. Yeah. So you probably would have been in Afghanistan at the same time as I fictional. Think so. <laughs> did you ever yeah. run into yeah, Ryan there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, real quick, this might be the time to mention that I had this very strange dream that the actor who plays Ryan, Matt Lauria, that he lived in our backyard like (laughs) like in a tiny house and that we became friends my husband and I became friends with him and I kept saying to Mark I feel like I should ask him to be on the podcast right I mean he's right there (laughs) anyway that's so dumb but you know we're talking (laughs) that was my dream anyway Uh, wow yeah whatever (laughs) moving on um (laughs) Also, I, I know that you're not asking me any of these questions. So if, if these are not relevant, just you can you can stop me. I'm finding it fascinating. I appreciate yeah. you being willing to talk about it so much. Well, I I mean, I just I would assume that you would have no reason to notice these things. So I, I just kind of want to bring them up. In the beginning of this episode, there's like the flashbacks from some of the, the previous ones, right? And one of them is is from when Ryan's in the at, at the memorial, right? Yeah. And they show him they show him in his in his uniform. So from his uniform, he has the infantry insignia on his uniform. It's on it's on his cover, his his hat, right? And and it's on his lapel. So 
I mean, that implies that his job was infantry. Again, not an irrigation specialist. He's <laughs> he's combat arms, which is a, a distinction. It's a, it's a major distinction because then there's a problem with the awards that he has because one of the awards is a combat action badge, which is awarded to people who are not combat arms. Hmm. So if there was an irrigation specialist job, it would be part of the non-combat arms jobs, which would have qualified him to get the combat action badge, right? So the badge that he's got is one for people who are not in the infantry, but he's wearing the infantry insignia and he's got the Mm. infantry rope on the other side. So it's a little bit confusing. It's like, I can't, you know, the, the irrigation specialist job probably doesn't exist, but like also his uniform is not a uniform that would, the, the, those things don't go together. Wow. So. <laughs> what if Ryan is fabricating the whole story? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Talk about a... Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched anything past this episode, so yeah, maybe that's what happens. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, look, I got to come clean. I was just hang. I was just walking by the VFW. Your grandfather saw me. Um, I went with it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> one thing that I think that you would enjoy is the his unit patch is the big red one, which is stationed at Fort Riley in Kansas. Oh, so. oh. That is, yeah. How about yeah. that? Wow. So interesting. So Ryan went from <laughs> Wyoming to Kansas to yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah. I wondered. So Ryan shared the you know stupid question he got asked in his mm-hmm. interview. Yeah. What are some of the stupidest, if you remember any choice ones, the stupidest either <laughs> questions people have asked you or comments they've made? Please exclude anything we've said during this podcast so far. <laughs> oh, <sad. laughs> or feel free no. to include them and then we'll know. We'll learn. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really remember any, which is not to say that nobody has asked me a silly or insensitive question, but I think it's more because of what I was saying earlier about people feeling like it's taboo to talk to veterans about their experiences. And, you know, I, I meet a lot of people, especially like in the music industry, right. Who most of them don't have, you know, any experience or connection to the military and they find out I'm a veteran, you know, they, it's like, Oh, you know, that's, that's, that's super interesting. And uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it sometime. And we never talk about it and nobody ever wants to ask because you know, they just assume that it's like, it's going to be painful for me. And, you know, and, and I get that it is painful for, for people. And uh, I mean, I had my, my periods of, of struggling and some of the deployments were easier and some of them were, were more difficult. You know, there's some where I really, I came back and I felt numb and I didn't want to talk to anybody that happened, didn't happen every time. And it didn't happen, you know, after every deployment, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that, at least the people that I've interacted with for the most part have felt like they don't want to talk to me about it. They don't want to ask those questions. And the reality is that like, I would love to talk to people about the experience if they wanted to ask about it. But I also don't want to just like tell war stories if, you know, like like that (laughs) people roll their eyes or whatever. It's like, I, you know, we don't need to do that. But I, 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 yeah, I, I, I think that my answer to that question is just that, the overwhelming majority of people just don't want to ask me. I mean, I think they're trying to be respectful, mm-hmm. right? No one has ever asked me if, you know, if I killed someone, at least I don't think they did. Like if they did, then it, you know, it was a logical follow-up question to, to something, but like, it, it, 
No, I, I, I feel like most people are just so afraid to talk about it. Like they don't know what to ask. So they don't ask anything at all. No. That's been my experience. Like I know that, you know, and, and the other thing that I really want to say is that, I mean, the military, as I found when I joined the military, that there's such a huge variety of people who join for, for a variety of reasons. And that like, no, like one or even a hundred people are going to be able to, to, to represent, you know, the, the huge experiences, the range of experiences of people in the military and all the different branches of service. I mean, it's just not representative. I, I'm happy to, to share my experience. But, and, and I know that a lot of people didn't, didn't have the same experience that I had. You know, you saying that is such a good point. And it makes me think, well, aside from Zeke, Ryan is the one person who's representing this background. And Zeke definitely counts, but he's so far removed from it now, you know, like, so Ryan's like the freshly returned. And I, I don't think, I mean, I, first of all, I think that actor is very good. And I do think it's good that they've done things like made him funny, you know, and, and, and things like that. But I do wonder, like, is he a little bit expected? Do you know what I mean? Like, like he's very quiet and reserved and, you know, I, I wonder like, are we like, that's a little on the nose that he's the guy playing the veteran or yeah. not so much. I'm so, I'm so glad that you said that yeah. because like, I didn't want to be like, feeling like a crazy person for being the only person that's that's thinking or saying that but yes i totally and and i totally agree with you that that the actor is he's i don't i i don't watch a lot of tv and i don't know actors or anything but he's doing a, a absolutely perfect job of you know like he clearly has has spent some time with some veterans and, and he's getting he's nailing it it's just like it's it's exact i had friends who were like that mm -hmm. but i just want to say that the majority of my friends were not like that. Mm. Those are the ones that stick out in everyone's minds because you meet them and you think, oh, that person's messed up or whatever. It's just like, oh, wow, that person's really strong. It's like, yes, those people exist. And a lot of people did suffer. But like, you know, a huge portion of veterans don't react that way and, and haven't, you know, they're, they're not they're not experiencing that. And, you know, looking at the, the situation, I mean, I was an interrogator, which is not a combat arms MOS and suppose that Ryan was an irrigation specialist, also not a combat arms MOS and that, you know, that, that he was a sergeant. I was a sergeant first class. So we're both NCOs. Like, I, I feel like we, we probably had similar experiences in terms of, you know, yes, you go there and yes, you saw combat and you saw people die. You weren't necessarily the person that got sent out there to kill someone, but yes, I mean, you were there and, and you witnessed these things and, and, and people who mattered to you died and, and, People took their own lives and all those things happened. And sometimes you don't want to remember those, those specific experiences, but not everybody, you know, is going to come back numb and not ready to talk to people, you know? And, and I think that maybe he is, uh, you know, I'm sure he's, it's been written this way. It's been directed this way. He's fulfilling an obligation to represent the wounded PTSD veteran, which is a person that exists and I've, I've met them and they're struggling and I feel for them. And it's also something that they don't necessarily want to be. And they're trying to figure out how to get back to being who they were trying to, I think with the things that Zeke talked about, you know, when you go to war, you, you, you go and, and you come back a different person. You don't know who you were. You don't know who you are anymore. And you're scared of what you might become. All of those things are absolutely true. But yeah, I do kind of feel like, you know, this is the one, like you said, the one person who gets to represent the American, you know, war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he has this 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 burden of of fulfilling all of the stereotypes 
that we associate with with PTSD veterans. And he's doing a great job of it. But it gets tiring. It gets tiring as a veteran to see that and to think, oh, my gosh, this is what everybody thinks is what we're expected to be like. And, you know, this is why I go to a job interview and people don't ask meaningful questions. Yeah, because they feel like they can't. (sighs) Well, this for the last episode, when Ryan went to his friend's funeral, I was looking up material about that and about specifically suicide among veterans. And I read at least one article where a veteran who was also a psychologist expressed concern about a stereotype forming around vets as broken or disturbed. And he said, you know, the majority of veterans return to civilian life without incident and they they adjust just fine. And I thought, what is the balance between shining a light Mm. on problems that do exist and are specific to, in this case, veterans, without painting them all with a broad brush? Because I I think it would also be wrong to just say, veterans don't have any problems. There's no specific challenges that a veteran faces that civilians don't. So, yeah, and it's interesting just to hear you talk about this because... It's addressing that exact um, issue. I Yeah. And I think it's great that it is trying to address the issue. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, Ryan said that, you know, he felt like he was not seen or invisible or something. I don't remember the exact words, but he, you know, he was talking to Zeke about, you know, well, at least, you know, when you came back from, from Vietnam I and mean, people saw you, like, I feel like people don't see us. I mean, I, I never felt that way, but... I get it that, you know, if, if we want to, to shine a light on it, on, on, on veterans who have come back and we want to portray the, the depth of their experience, that's that's great. And so I don't really have a problem with it. I, I'm just saying that I, you know, I'm just being honest with the way that, that I, you know, felt when I watched it was, yes, I knew people like that. And that's that's very real and very truthful. And it's also a little bit, I, I, I you know, I don't know how much I like watching that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people who have committed suicide. I, I and and that, you know, I know that that didn't happen in this episode, but you know, I I understand why we want to address it. It, it the, the, this show addresses a lot of, you know, difficult issues and and that's great. Um it's difficult it's difficult as as a veteran to to um to see those things and and uh and to be constantly reminded of that. Yeah. Wow. You know, it might have been nice if it was possible for like Ryan to have a friend or someone who was also back who, to just show like as a foil any bit of variety yeah, yeah. like someone who yes. wasn't experiencing some of these issues so that you could see yes these issues do exist Ryan is dealing with them but not yes. every veteran I guess we we see that on the smallest scale in the last episode where they're at the, like, not even the funeral itself, but like the night before when they're drinking and like sharing stories. And there was the really angry guy who's like angrier than Ryan, right? (laughs) But then there was the, the guy who was just kind of like a little bit lighter. It felt like, you know, he was like, you know, here's to Evan, you know, here's to, here's to him. And he seemed, not that we know anything about him. We don't, but he did seem like just the way he moved and spoke felt less burdened than Ryan, I suppose. But yeah, we don't, we don't get anybody else's experiences. We just get Ryan's. And yeah, it makes me think of this Ted talk that I don't know if either of you have seen, but um, it's really good to show students when you're like reading literature from different parts of the world and stuff. And it's um, the danger of a single story. I love it so much. It's really, really good. And it's um, this Nigerian writer, Chimamanda Adichie, and she talks about how 
the single story is the stereotype. And it's not even that the stereotype is untrue, it's just that it's limited. It's not the whole truth. And you really start to learn about anyone's like experience or culture when you get the second story, you know? And so like if Ryan had a friend, you would get a second story and you would learn like, you know, oh, it, it doesn't all look like this. And so I, I do think that's kind of fascinating, you know? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that that's exactly the, the, the situation here and, and maybe why I'm responding the way I am. And, and I, I, I would love to have seen other people in, in Ryan's, in his circle, it would take some of the, the, the burden off of him to, to represent all of the, the experiences that we know that people are experiencing. One thing they've talked about a lot around Ryan and with Zeke is the idea of having someone to come home to. Zeke mm-hmm. says... You know, it was a big benefit to him that he was married and his wife was there for him and that helped him readjust. And earlier when you were talking about leaving the army because you had fallen in love and met your now husband, do you think that helped you? I mean, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but um, <laughs> it, was it in a specific way beyond just it's nice to have someone to love and love you. Yeah, I think it, I think that certainly it 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 does make a difference. But it's not to say that, you know, before I had met Sheldon and and I I gone on deployments before that and um, you know, I had things to come back to, not guys, not girls either. I it just I I mean, I I had to I wasn't able to be out at that time and in the, in the previous deployments, but, but still, I mean, no, there were plenty of things to come back to, you know, in, in like, I had my family, I had, um, I had my friends, I, I, I had the piano. I mean, I would come back and I would, I would play the piano. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's good to have things to come back to, but it's not, it's not as though you can't be successful. I don't know that this is what you were asking. It's not what you're asking, but I just want to, I just want to comment that yes, it's helpful, but certainly not necessary to be able to go and deploy and come back and come back in one piece and, and reintegrate into society. I mean, there's plenty, it just depends on, depends on the person and what things happened and what experiences you had and how they affected you. But I think in some ways it was, I mean, I was, I was looking forward to seeing what the new chapter of my life would be with Sheldon when I came back from my last deployment, but in some ways it kind of made it more difficult just in, you know, the, the sense that it was it was painful to be apart, you know, and, and every time I had downtime, I was I was, you know, trying to find a way to, to call him or to I would have to buy, you know, credits like phone credits to be able to 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 be able to call. And, you know, that was it was stressful. And, and you know, and also like, you know, any time that there was an incident or an attack or something and you want to get a message back home and let them know that, you know, I'm fine, you know. It becomes, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to call it a burden, but it, I mean, it's a responsibility. It, it, and, you know, in some ways it's, it's easier just to, you know, just have your friends and not have to, to feel like you're fulfilling the needs of, of a relationship. Oh. It's difficult to, to say in a way that respects and, and honors the gratefulness that, that you have for, for the other person, right? You don't want to call them a burden, but... I, right. But it, but it is a responsibility. And when you are deployed, and or even when you're not deployed, but in the military, but especially when you're deployed, it, it, it's this mission first mentality where like everything else is deprioritized. And, and it's just you, 
you you figure out a way to get this thing done. It, it seems completely impossible, but you figure out, okay, well, I'm going to have to completely change all the variables, all the attributes, everything is just changed so that I can get this one thing done, you know? And that one thing is is ultimately surviving, right? Like you don't want to get, you want to come back, you want to come back alive and you, you want the people around you to come back alive. And so everything that you, that you value and that you, you know, is important. You, you have to be ready to, to change those things just to prioritize your mission. And, uh, oftentimes that's the person that's back home. Wow. You know? Yeah. I do want to mention that last scene between Amber and Zeke, just oh, right. because they're so great together. I put, they could have their own spinoff called A to Z. (laughs) (laughs) They could. And I wondered, are they setting up Ryan to be Amber's Seth? Oh, gosh. Is this, is this our transition into the next one? Because that's. uh, Because that's Hank. That's Hank. That means, yes. Because the whole time I was watching that, I was like, God, this is just like when she would run off and go rescue Seth. It's like, she's doing that right now. It's like, she can't get enough of being the savior for these, uh. These dudes, yeah. I was like getting major Seth flashbacks, seeing her just run off to be with Hank. <laughs> I have opinions about this storyline, so I'm excited to hear your opinions. The dude opinions, I'm excited for. Well, run off <laughs> to help Hank, she does. Hello? It's Hank. Hank yeah. It's one in the morning. I'm sorry, I huh. don't know. It's bombed. Oh, why? how'd you get there? Oh, Hank, can't you call a cab? A cab. A t- oh my god. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I guess so. Look, Hank, just stay there, okay? Stay there. Goodbye. Oh my god. Drunk mess. And Can't even figure out how to call a cab. I'm just gonna get him and take him. He didn't have anyone else he could call. I guess not. I mean, he could barely say his own name. I, it's, it's a disaster. It's just, it's, he's really not far. I'll be right back. All right. Okay, I love you. All right, okay. love you too. All right. What Sarah did didn't feel right to me, but what should she have done? I mean, like, you could just say, tough, you're on your own. But I get not wanting to do that. Although if it happened all the time, I would totally do that. I've never thought of this until you just said, what should she have done? I'm now realizing if she felt truly like his his safety was at risk or something, she really could have said, Mark, could we go? Could we go get him? She could have both like- Both of them. Both of them. I never thought of that before. I actually think she just should have not left at all. I think she just should have been like, well, there's gotta be someone else you know. We have boundaries and it's not gonna be me. But if she really, for some reason was like, I feel like he might get in an accident or something, then I don't know that you go alone and you help a drunk man into his apartment. Uh, anyway, yeah. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, so as a person that hasn't watched a lot of this show, right, and I don't know what what Sarah's deal is, like why is she acting this <laughs> way? I can't, even, I, I can't even figure out why she's into Hank in the first place. I mean, they're, they're, like he doesn't seem to do anything that should make her like him. But anyway, I agree. Um, anyway, <laughs> it just seems, it seems to me, I think she's trying to cover up her affection for him, mm-hmm. even though I don't understand why she's drawn to him, but clearly she is. And so she's like making it into this silly kind of, Oh my God, this, my, my goofy boss is drunk. And what am I going to do? Like, this, of course I have to go and help him. Like, I mean, like, how could I not like just stay right there? I'll be back. I mean, 
I don't know, because it just doesn't make sense otherwise. Like, I think to myself, if like if I was trying to cover up that I had like a, a real re- relationship with this person, you know, like because that didn't seem real. Like, I mean, it didn't seem right. Like she should not have responded that way. Mm-mm. I agree with you. Like she shouldn't have gone at all. But like if she was going to agree to go like that's not how a person would truthfully say that. I don't no. think I feel like she was trying to be she was trying to cover it up. I so agree. Yeah, no, totally. Like, I, and I thought it, and I felt like she did it over and over again. And I will point it out the other times that I think she did it. But even if I did go and get that, because I could see myself doing that just like, well, they got no one else. You know, I, I would make excuses just out of like compassion. Mm-hmm. Once they were through their door, I would shut the door and leave. Yeah. Like, all right. I'm not going to make sure they get to the bed. I'm not going to take their jacket off. And their glasses. Their shoes off. And I'm not going to take their glasses off. Yeah. That to me is like, okay, you're home. Anything that happens to you now, fair game. Yeah. Bye. (laughs) I think. But yeah, I think she is in denial about what she feels about Hank through the whole episode. And while he, I think, is undeserving of her concern, I actually don't think Hank does much of anything wrong in this episode. I do think it's wrong for him to call her and ask her to get him because they don't have that That, relationship. But I agree about the rest. After that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually thought one of the most troubling things she says in this entire episode was, I love you, to Mark, to her fiancé, because of the placement of it and the way she says it. It's like, as she's putting on her coat to go get Hank, And she's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go get him. And then she's like, I love you. I don't know. Actions speak louder? Yeah, it felt very (laughs) strange. It was like, it's okay that I'm picking up a different man because I love you. And I'm like, if you truly had no feelings for him, you wouldn't feel the need to reassure him right now with an I love you. You'd be like, my dumb boss, I'll be back. That's exactly right. That's exactly, and that's that's exactly my my feeling about like, she's obviously trying to, to, she's not being truthful here with, with Mark. I mean, he's obviously trying to cover this up. Yeah. 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 When she and Hank debriefed to the degree that they did about that, I did think their, why'd you call me? And then why'd you answer exchange was very good. (laughs) I I get why she asked it, but then I was not expecting him to say, why'd you answer? Yeah. And that's a good question too. (laughs) It is. No, I, I've just felt the entire episode that Mar- every, it was so well acted by everyone. But man, Jason Ritter does such a good job of playing someone who's not a fool, but he's like a kind person who likes to give the benefit of the doubt. And you can just see him doing that continually through the episode, even though every instinct he has is saying, this isn't right. She doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt. This is, he keeps trying to sort of make it normal and like, oh, we have our usual banter. We're joking around. But you, he's troubled the entire episode. He knows exactly what's going on. And I don't know. I, the whole thing made me just so uncomfortable. I hated it so much. Well, let's talk about how Sarah and Hank initially handled this conflict when they realized there is this scheduling conflict. Hey, listen, get online and uh, book us a flight to LA just for this weekend, like in out Friday, Saturday. When? This weekend, it's uh, this Hollywood convention thing. You know, you take headshots and that kind of crap. And then I can go straighten this whole thing out with Ruby. But, yeah, I got a plan. Sorry. We do the thing and then I'll go talk to my ex-wife, you know, without any lawyers. And I was thinking Ruby can hang with you because you connect with her and maybe you'll find out. I'm sorry, Hank, this has to be this weekend? Yeah. I, I, yeah. But I, I took off this weekend. I'm, I took off on Friday and Saturday. I'm going to that wedding in Napa. 
Oh, oh, that's this weekend? Yeah. But you booked uh, a job for this weekend? Yeah, 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 but okay. All right, you got plans? It was, it, it's in the book. Yeah, yeah, I gotta get down there because, you know, they're gonna start looking at schools and everything. I just, I gotta get down there, but it's okay. Well, I, I mean, I didn't know we had a job. You know, maybe I can figure out a way to do both. Yeah, okay, yeah. Let me talk about it with Mark. Maybe we can figure something out. Appreciate it. <laughs> I just put down, this is Sarah's fault. Yeah. <laughs> she she does a good job initially of, like, politely setting the boundary. She followed the rules. She didn't spring this on Hank. It's in the book. And he accepted it. He said, okay, I got to go. But I get it. It's Okay. He's not begging her to come. No, she wants to go. She, she is, yeah, she's trying to figure out a way. And of course, I mean, that's that's arguably kind of her. Well, no, I mean, it is kind of her. Well, <laughs> Mark complicates it, but in isolation, that is kind of her to want to help him. But it's unnecessary and totally on her. All of these things would be kind if she didn't have feelings for him. It would be kind to go pick him exactly. up. Exactly, that's but, it. But that's secondary to the fact that she has feelings for him. And that's that's her primary motivation, not just out of the goodness of my heart. I'm, You know, no. <laughs> if she was 100% with Mark, she would have gone to the wedding and she would have been like, yeah, this is just my job. Yeah. The thing that really like set me off about that that scene was just at the very end when she... Literally, she just offers, yeah. but maybe I can, I can do both. Like he didn't ask for that, no. right? And yeah. he asks for that later. I mean, he kind of like he actually makes the case for it later. It, this this is the the time that I got to go, and and you know, but like here he's not even making a case for it. I mean, he's just saying that look, look, this is the reason I have to go, and it's fine. But he has to go. Like he can do it without her. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you know what really got me. Because we're saying, like, did Hank do anything wrong? Here's maybe the thing I think he did wrong later when she reports back to him after she does talk to Mark. He says... Boyfriend said no. Yes. I wanted to murder him because I was like, you're making it seem like Mark is an unreasonable, controlling person. And he's not. And you're making it seem as though Sarah is incapable of making her own decisions and that she asked his permission and he laid down the law. And that is not what happened. She is being disrespectful, even bringing it up to him. And they both know that. And it's like gaslighty to act like Mark is this mean guy who is not letting her do what she, you know what I mean? Like that really rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. I'm Absolutely. Yeah. Although, Absolutely. but I, to defend <laughs> Hank a little bit, from his point of view, all he's seen is Sarah's side of this. From that point of view, it seems like Sarah wants to go. She wants to go to L.A. with him. And for some reason, she can't. And all Hank knows is, well, because she had these plans with Mark. But it seems like what she actually wants to do is go to L.A. So I don't think it's a crazy inference I to guess. be like, well, you're obligated to go to this wedding, it sounds like. It's not like mm. you say, oh, I'm taking off because I'm really looking forward to this wonderful weekend I have planned with Mark. 
he also knows that Mark is his fiance and he downgraded him to boyfriend. You know, he's like, boyfriend say no. Like, it felt like a cheap shot to me. Like, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and make it seem like you're with someone you shouldn't be with, with in a very, like, subtle way that, hey, who could object? I'm just, I'm just taking in the facts here, but that's how I interpreted it. Anyway. It was also very patronizing the way that he said that. It's just his tone yes. of voice was just so <laughs> irritating. Yeah, no, completely. I thought it was a power move, honestly, like a slight one, but, yeah. Well, let's contrast with how Mark initially handles this request. How can he be mad at me that I don't want him to stay by himself in the house after he, you know, you know? If it was totally up to me, then I probably would have let them stay here. It, you know, they want to have sex. They're going to find a place to have sex. <laughs> oh, no, they're and not. They might as well do it in a safe environment. No, no, they, they're not going to find a place. See, this is how it works is I will eliminate all the available places where they could do that thing and then How they won't be able to do it places one room at a time one room at a time time to, I have to go it is about seven, seven thirty-three. i have an extra period off today hank it's just you know so this weekend he springs on me we have a job in la all of a sudden on friday this weekend <laughs> yeah and uh, but he, he he knows about the wedding you told well him. now he does i mean he forgot and you know really wanted me to come with him on friday and i i told him i can't Good. But if I if I went to L.A. and I did the job and then, you know, there's a bunch of flights and maybe I could even get a flight into Santa Rosa, you know, Friday night or first thing, the worst would be first thing Saturday morning. <sighs> what would you think of that? Here's what I think. I, you know, he, you told him ahead of time. We've been planning this for months. I've been really looking forward to this. Me I too. took the day off, too. Yeah. I mean, this is like, he this can't. is our weekend. It's our weekend. I know. I'm All sorry right. I asked. It's just. Uh, that's fine. Okay. I, I just, yeah, he. So I felt like if you were accepting them both at face value, they had a pretty healthy discussion. She brought up the conflict. They both made their points. They were respectful of each other. But the problem here is there's something underneath this conversation. Yeah. And Mark seemed like he was, and I think he thought he was, helping her with a work problem mm -hmm. that was complicating her going on the trip she wanted to go on. But he's assuming that Sarah wants to go to the wedding more than she wants to go to L.A. And I think the actual problem is she wants to do both. I think the actual problem is she wants to go to L.A. more than she wants to go with Mark to the wedding. Okay. I was being generous, but I think that, <laughs> that could be true. Yeah. I don't understand. I just don't understand why she, she wants. <laughs> and I, I haven't seen this part. I think know. she thinks taking care of messes is what love is. Right. Yes. I okay. Mean, yes. Yeah. She, we saw it with Seth, and now we're seeing it with Hank. Yeah. Mark is right. too self-sufficient. He just, like, doesn't get blazing drunk and call her and say, come rescue me. He he just, like, puts Mark on a tie and goes to work. In that, yeah, Mark no. doesn't need her in that way. He needs her in the way that is a actually healthy partner. Healthy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The way we need love in our lives, that's how he needs her. He doesn't need a rescuer or a savior. And she yeah. she understands love to mean that. Sorry. Josh, you did just sort of get dropped in on this. You keep starting to say that you just don't understand. What is it that you just don't understand? Because I think you do understand. You're, you're well, as confused as we are. And we I, have been watching it all I, along. 
I suspect that you're right. I suspect that I'm responding the same way that probably many many people who have seen more of the show yeah. are also responding, which is that there seems to be no rational reason why Sarah would want to leave Mark to go and do these things with Hank, who doesn't even do nice things for her. So it's so confusing. But I, you know, I think Caleb's observation is exactly it, it answers all the questions, which is that she just she thinks that cleaning up messes is is what love is, right? And that that's that's what she does. And that's obviously her relationship with Hank I mean, is going and cleaning up his messes and fixing his scheduling problems and his ex-wife and, and all of this, whatever. It's just. Yeah, she's the Ruby whisperer. You know, he says, right. you can come because you're good with her. So that's the, oh, he needs me. Yep. I'm going right. to go save his family. Yeah. One thing, though, I thought that as far as that conversation that Sarah had with Mark, I feel like Sarah didn't really try to see it from Mark's perspective like mm -hmm. I was mad when she was doing it because I felt like she needed to to just sit down and say look I I totally understand why it's important that we go to this wedding because we've been talking about it and this is why I can't you know but she didn't give him that like he she didn't you know she should recognize that this is a bigger problem than than she's making it out to be and she just thinks that she could just sweep it under the rug and that he's like oh I'll just be kind of cute and funny about it it's like I I just didn't buy that I was like it's just like that's not how a person would would come to a, a partner and, and resolve something mm -hmm. yeah Completely. And I know we discussed this a little bit already, but I want to deconstruct this scene just a little bit. I can't go to L.A. I'm sorry. I boyfriend said no. No, he's my fiance. He didn't say no. It's just not right. We had this plan and, you know, I can't break it. No, you're right. I mean, do you yes. have to go this weekend? Do you yes. have a plan B? No, what? no, I got to go this weekend. She already, my ex-wife called. She made a down payment on the apartment already. Where? In Minnesota? Didn't even tell me about it. Yes. How can she do this? I don't even understand how she, she can't, she, she can just she take can her it. out of the state? What does yes. the lawyer say? The lawyer that told me, the lawyer said it's a slam dunk. How could it be a slam dunk to I don't take know. a child I don't know, but that's what she does. Her she, father. I know, I'm sending an email now back to the guy, but this is how she does it. All right, I'm just going this weekend, I gotta go. Just the rehearsal dinner's Friday night. I get it. I get it. Don't worry about it. That's a guilt trip. Don't worry about it. In that tone. That's not a true oh, don't worry about it. I don't see. That's why I was just going to say, I just want to reiterate. What did Hank actually say in this scene? After he said, boyfriend said no. He said, no, you're right. I get it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and then don't worry about the it. rest. Of That's different than don't worry about it. No, you you have a weekend. You asked off. You, you, I, I don't even know why we're still talking about it. You need to go. That is what it would really look like if he meant don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know. I I'm I'm not quite sold. I just feel like I'm I'm struck in a lot of these scenes by how incidental Sarah's involvement seems to him. I mean, I think he wants her to go, but every time she's like, I can't go. He goes right back to, well, I got to go. I'm writing the email right now. Well, I got to get down there. I mean, his he seems laser focused mm -hmm. on his own family. And I feel like Sarah is doing this thing, which I often do, which is I, I assume I am in the forefront of other people's minds. <laughs> oh, Hank's going to be so upset if I don't go. I actually don't think Hank is going to be that upset if she doesn't go. No. I, mean, I think he would prefer that she go. 
but I don't think he's losing any sleep over it. Okay, well, Sarah can't go. I have to go. Ruby's being taken to Minnesota. A side issue, if the job is just an excuse to be in L.A., can't Hank cancel the job and just tell his ex-wife that he's still doing it? Probably. Just go to L.A. I, oh, why are you here? I was working. Was she going to call his <laughs> client and say, did you really hire him? Like, I, I don't know. I see what you're saying. And I do think that he isn't saying you have to come with me. But I think the way that he's phrasing it, he knows how she thinks. And he's not doing anything to deter her from thinking like that. He knows that she's kind of twisting herself up and he's letting her. And so even though he is just saying, I got to get down there, I got to go. The very fact that he says it, like, don't worry about it. Like, I didn't take that as sincere for one moment. And I really think that, you know, like, even if he doesn't care that much, if she specifically goes, I think this has turned into a competition for him. Who is she going to pick? Is she going to pick the boyfriend who I'm demoting in our conversation? Or is she going to pick me? And, you know, I know that if I say certain things, she's more likely to go on that original trip. I'm not going to go out of my way to make her do that. You know, I'm if if they had a truly platonic relationship and he was like, oh, you're right. You asked off. Don't even worry. He would he would just he would handle it very differently, even though I agree with you that she is the one who's really like attaching herself to this. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess I'll just amend to say he's not trying very hard. No, but he doesn't <laughs> have to. So we're both right. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's, I was, I can't decide between sick or sad. Sick seems a little um, extreme, but. Yeah. I also want to say at the beginning of that scene when she brings in the muffins, Hank says just offhandedly, he might just eat the top. <laughs> but then he says, you know how I am or something like that. What yeah. Is, yeah. It but it reminds laugh. me, it reminded me of this Gilmore Girls episode when Suki made, she brought a basket of muffin tops oh, to yeah. Lorelai because, you know, the muffin top is the best part. And then she said, I also made a muffin bottom pie <laughs> using all the bottoms so she hadn't wasted them. And I just, I don't know. Man, that's funny. Another yeah. connection. Uh, pull that thread. Well, also, Josh, like... D- d- any thoughts on Caleb and I having that little like um Oh yeah, who do you agree with? Yeah, I know, who is I, right? I, no. I, although I kind of came around to <laughs> yeah. Melissa's side. I agree with Melissa on this all, all completely 100%. I think that I think that if Hank cared about Sarah and cared about like, you know, not making her go crazy about like having to choose between these two things and just wanted her to be happy because that's what friends should do. Like friends should want their friends to be happy. Like even though it is true that yes, I, the reason I have to go is now is because my, my, my ex-wife and this, and it has to happen and you're, you're threatening to take my kid away and they're going to go outside the state lines and all this stuff. Like I should not be saying those things if I care about this person, because this person already has plans and they're going out there with their fiance to this way. Like I would take a little bit more responsibility if if I actually cared about this person as a friend. I mean, I just think it, it's true that he didn't say that, you know, I wanted her, but just stop talking about your needs for a second. You know, like it's not it's not that strange or an adult of a of a, of a concept to to just yeah, in this moment, this is what this person needs. Yeah. It's like Max in this episode. What's that? <laughs> I don't like thinking about other people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so now do we have to like listen to the horrible, horrible fight? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm prepared. So, um, look, I, 
I just can't figure out um, a way not to go to L.A. on Friday, but I think um, what I can figure out is coming back that night. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, this job in L.A., right. it's just turn in, it's turning into this very complicated thing, and Hank does really need me there, and I, if I... I uh, checked the flights, and there's an LAX to Santa Rosa that would get me in. Wait, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. You, you didn't. I thought we talked about this. We you, did. You're right, and yeah. you were gonna go tell him that you couldn't go because we've been I planning did. this for months, and you gave him it. I know. I just feel like notice. there might be a way to split the difference so that I can be there for the job and then also have our weekend. It's just it it's only not, cuts into it a little it bit. It cuts it in half. I don't understand. He can't live without you for two days. I What's mean, his I don't totally understand deal? either. But it's just it's become this very complicated thing, and I feel obligated to him to work. And he's also got this really messed up personal situation. Where, I don't care. Okay. Well, I, I don't care. I mean, I, I'm just I trying to help somebody out. You know, we'll, we'll still have our wonderful weekend. We and, won't. We've been planning this for will. months, and then he says, "I need you," and all of a sudden you go oh. and do what he wants you no, to do? No, it's not like that. And you're like picking him up in the middle of the night oh, drunk. God. That not... doesn't happen all the time. No, that happened he... that one time. Right. Well, you're putting him above me No, I'm us. not. No, I'm yeah. not. We planned this no. for months. You said you were going to go and I then he gives go. you a sob story. It's and then just, you... I'm trying to do my job too. This is not a shift at the restaurant that I can just take off, okay? But you gave him... A... I know, but there was a complication. Something came up. It's work. All and right. all I'm trying to do is do both. I'm trying to you make can't... everybody happy. You don't Just don't No, I want to go. I'm going to be at the wedding. I'm going to be at the wedding. You're not going to go to the wedding. Don't bother, okay? Mark, Seriously, don't, say don't that. bother. It doesn't you tell him you're free all weekend. I completely agree with how he handled that. Or let me rephrase. I don't know if I agree that it was like the most rational like way to handle it. I just was with him the whole time. And right around when he was like, yeah. no, you're not. You're not you're free the whole weekend. I was like, that's exactly when I would have been like, nope, I'm done with this. That's your consequence for <laughs> putting him above me is now I'm out, uh, at least for the weekend. And maybe forever. Um, we'll talk about that. But I would have been furious. Okay, you, you guys say words now. Um, I'm worked up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the thing that I first reacted to was the fact that he really, his first thing that he latched onto was you already told him that you can't go. So you should just be consistent and just stick to that. I don't know why you can't just stick to what you said. Like, yeah. like it's like, it was like making this like some kind of flaw that she had, like it, she can't like, she's not a person of her word. Like she can't, you know, why can't she just be firm about things? Whereas I think that like, it would have been so much better, you know, if, if he just was just like, hey, stop, wait, why do you care about him so much? Like, what is it that me really makes you want to go and do this? That was the thing that to me is like, why, you know, why don't you just ask her what the real problem is? Like, yeah. clearly, like she's not she's a person that has difficulty, like feeling guilty or like she has too many obligations or she's trying to make people happy and she can't stick to what she says. And, you know, she can't hold people to, to things that they agree to. Like, we, we know that she's difficult, you know, like she's she's challenged in that way. Yeah. Like th we're not going to get anywhere by like, like zeroing in on that. Like, why don't we just ask like, why is this so important to you? Why do you have to go and be with this man? Like, that was the thing that I was wondering this whole time. I was like, like, just grab hold of the situation and just stop her. Like right now. I mean, this is just like, don't, I don't know. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I thought almost the exact same thing. I was like, if you just go off the surface reasons for this fight, it almost doesn't even make any sense because it's like, like, what are they? She says twice, it's become this very complicated thing as if it's like a hurricane or a tornado <laughs> or some act of God that is just descending upon them rather than, well, I can't go, but I actually really want to. 
that's the problem. It's not that it's become a very complicated thing. It's that Sarah is not letting it go. Yeah, so I thought either she needs to explain to Mark why it's so important for her to be there, or he needs to ask her either that same question or what's going on with you and Hank. Because I thought, like, I agreed with what you said when we first started talking about this, Melissa, that it seems like he is totally aware. He's not a fool. Something is happening. And I, I wrote down, when do you bring that up? Like, when is the right time? Is it as soon as possible? Or do you do you wait a little while to, like, gather evidence? Like, am I, am I reading too much into this? Do I need to test this theory first? Or When he says, you're putting him above me, that to me is confirmation that he doesn't just mean in this instant, like this weekend. I think the reason he doesn't ask these questions that you're, you're both totally right to say that he should ask. Those are the questions that a person who doesn't know what's going on asks. A person who's like, I'm just really confused. I'm lost here. How has this become a very complicated thing? Yeah, he knows. I I think Mm. he really knows she loves him or has feelings for him. And that is why she won't let this go. If this were truly about a work obligation, we wouldn't even be having this talk. And I think because he knows that, it's why he doesn't ask. And it's also why he gets so angry. Because it's about so much more than dividing their weekend in half. Because if it was just, oh, it's a shift at the bar and I really can't get out of it. Somebody took it. You know, like her old job where she didn't have feelings for her boss. (laughs) I think he would be upset and hurt, but he would probably be understanding. If it was truly legit, I can't get out of this, I'll lose my job. He doesn't think that's what it is. And so it just struck me as just so sad because he knows he's losing her and maybe he should have said something sooner. But I think on some level, he's like, it doesn't matter if she has feelings for somebody else to the point that she's like putting him above me, which is the phrase he uses. Can you even come back from that? I mean... Does she just yeah. want to leave him and be with Hank? And I I think probably all that is what's going on in his mind. And he keeps trying to act light and like nothing's wrong and treat it like it's a work problem until it becomes so blatantly obvious that it's not, that he can't ignore it anymore. And I agree with what you said about even if he didn't handle it as perfectly as he could have, I totally bought every step he took. Like, yeah. it, And it felt to me like something a rational person would do in trying to handle it. Like, you know, I've talked before about I messages and you messages. You know, in that fight, he says, you're putting him above me. Well, Mm -hmm. that is hurling an accusation at her. I think he's correct. I do too. And yes, in a perfect world, might it have made some difference to say, I look at this situation and all I can draw from it is that I'm not being chosen. Mm -hmm. I feel like you are placing his needs above mine. Mm-hmm. But I totally buy that in that climate, you know, that was not their porcupine needles were up, both of them. <laughs> and, you know, there was no eye messages to be had. I actually kind of loved it when she said, well, he's also got these really personal things going on. And he's like, I don't care. And yeah. I didn't, look how easy that is. Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> yeah. I felt like he was demonstrating to her. This is how you feel about your boss's personal problems. If he's just your boss, it's like. Yeah, he's got his own thing, but that doesn't interfere with our working relationship. And that's that, you know, I don't think he took that to mean like, I don't care about other people's pain or I don't care. But I think he was just like, why the hell do you care? Like, that was the subtext there, I thought. Or yeah, or saying, if you do care, you need to be upfront about that. Yeah. 
Like you need to, you need to be honest and not say it's just become this very complicated thing. Right. No, what you're saying is I really feel for my boss and I think I can help him. And that's more important than a light, fun we- weekend at some friend's wedding. Yeah. Which in some universe, now that I'm saying it, you could even maybe make an argument for that. Like Again, if there's no romantic feelings, I think you absolutely could. Right. Like, Mark, I would love to have a weekend away, just you and me. This is more urgent. We can do another weekend. But yeah, there's feelings there. So that's not the issue. Yeah, that's the issue. The weekend is a symbol. The, the weekend yeah. is the symbol. Who's she going to choose? Not just for the weekend, for her life. That's what this is. <laughs> so... Anyway. I also just want to backtrack a little bit, a tiny like storyline net, if even that. Their about argument about Drew. Drew, who was right? Because like I, I can't ever remember being left alone for an entire weekend while I was in high school. I, I may have been, but I, I don't remember it. I was definitely left alone for entire days. Mm-hmm. Like I remember routinely my parents, they had season tickets to KU football games. And they would drive up to Lawrence, which is like two and a half hours from Pittsburgh. And then they would stay the night up there and they'd come back the next day. And I was in high school and there was never even any discussion about well, what, what's Caleb going to do? Well, I had stuff to do, so I couldn't go on the trip and I didn't need a babysitter. I did live in a very small town, though, not a city, if that makes a difference. It doesn't and, and because then, her as, issue is not then, the city. It's him having sex yeah, with his and, girlfriend. <laughs> Exactly. And that was not happening in my case. And I think everyone knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Personally, I think Mark was right, but I don't blame. This is one of the few things I don't blame Sarah for in this episode uh, for making a different decision. And I actually loved how they had that talk. I was like, that's super healthy. They disagree, but it's not a fight. It's just, well, if you were my kid, I would have done it this way, but he's not. And I totally respect it. You know, like I felt like that was the tone. And I was like, that's just a healthy difference of opinion and it it would if that was the focus of the episode it would have been a non-issue to just yeah anyway i felt like there were a lot of couples presented in this episode and that we were sort of like meant to evaluate how they tackled conflicts and see that they it really ran the gamut Mm. some people did not do a good job like (laughs) sarah and mark yeah but then we had other things like joel and julia For instance, their first scene, I just wondered, what is going on with Julia here? I'm not quite sure what she is trying to achieve. Hey, I want to talk to you about something. Um, Do you remember Carl Wright? Yes, the guy that does all the commercial work. Yeah, exactly. So he's on the verge of taking on, you know, more than he can handle. He's uh, he's put in a bid on this just huge job, and he asked, you know, if it goes through, if I'd be his foreman. Sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, Carl's a great guy, and, you know, couldn't have come at a better time. We got the, you know, we could use the money. Babe, I think right now is a really important transitional period for all of us with Victor, so he's got to be the priority. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. But, you know, I just figured this could be great for everybody. I mean, you always said you wanted to be a, you know, have a chance to just stay at home and be a mom, and now you can be. Sounds great. Yeah. I think backstory is incredibly important to this. Like, it might be interesting to see what Josh thinks without having any previous idea of who these two people are. Well, I, I had seen a couple of episodes before Aww, this. Aw, that's so nice. I did, <laughs> just because I wanted to follow Ryan's 
development. Like, and, and I read, I realized that he had only come in a couple of episodes before. So I watched, basically I was just paying attention to Ryan. Aww. Yeah. So I don't really remember a whole lot, but I mean, I do kind of remember her resigning. Okay. From her yes. Yes. I remember that. Right. Yeah. So I think that, you know, she's obviously, she's struggling with like this idea of like, what do I do with all this, this time now? And like, yes, I have always wanted this time to be with the kids and to be at home and to be the stay at home mom and whatever. But like, to have Joel say those words the way that he said it, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what you always wanted to be staying at home and, and being a mom. And to hear somebody say it like that, like I felt for her, I was just like, oh, that was really a bad way of, of saying that. Like, I just because I think that, you know, a woman who has worked that hard, right, to to be a corporate lawyer and to do all these things. I mean, I don't know her whole story, but I mean, like the. Yes, of course, they want time. I mean, they're torn. That, but but then to have somebody say, isn't this what you always wanted to be a stay at home mom? I mean, I just think that that's <laughs> that was just it was it was really I mean, and he really drilled into those words, too. But I also think that, you know, obviously, like she's sitting there and she's thinking like, yes, I gave up my job so that I could make Victor the priority. Now, you have to do that, too. Like what? You know, you don't you know, like, why are you not doing that? And so I, I totally felt for her. And I thought that he was kind of oblivious a little bit. It's like, are, I, I think that he could have predicted a little bit, you know, more of like how she was feeling. And then like later on, like he blows up about it and all this stuff is just like, really, did you not see this coming? <laughs> but that's that's me. No, yeah. I'm so glad you thought to ask him, Melissa, because it it did sway me a little bit. I was more on Joel's side. Me too. But initially. I think it's because we've seen the entire thing. Like, we'll and talk about Yeah, this. I think of Joel in some ways as being, like, long-suffering, even though I don't think he's suffering. I right, mean, I right. think he's just the, you know, ennui of being a stay-at-home parent who he liked working too, although I think he is quite good at being a full-time parent. And, mm-hmm. and I think he finds joy in that in a way that I don't Julia know doesn't. if Julia is equipped to do. Yeah. But you are right, Josh. And because I was thinking they both were not being totally upfront mm-hmm. in that first scene. They were not saying what they actually felt. First of all, I had like a logistical question for Julia, which is. <laughs> I will answer it <laughs> as Julia. Do you think you're both just going to stay at home forever and not work? Well, No. Not forever, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to find another job. And if Joel finds one first, then I just have to stay like this forever. That's me answering as Julia. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, that was, here was my last line of my note on the scene was, is she just secretly assuming that when it's time for someone to work again, that it'll be her? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Just being, um, you know, nuts and bolts practical as I so often am. It's like, I get that you're wealthy, but your money can't last forever. And you quit. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that there's no severance or anything. And you're not going to get unemployment if you quit. So you really, you need income coming in. And then what Joel, I think, was not saying with that line of, this is what you always wanted. What he's actually saying is, I am desperate to go back to work. And this seems like a incredibly logical time for mm-hmm. me to do that. Yeah. And I think the charitable side of that is I bet she has said that before, mm-hmm. but I don't think she meant it. I mean, like you said, Josh, like, of course, she misses her family when she's away, but not because she hates her job. Right. Honestly, the first watch for me, I was livid at Julia and I only saw Joel's perspective. 
And the, the second watch, I was really trying to be more compassionate and look at it another way. And, and Josh, you have really just helped me with that as well. But I think on the first watch, all I could think were things like, yeah, Julia, you quit your job without so much as a conversation with your partner before you did it. This was not a decision the two of you made together. You just up and quit. And he never, as far as we see anyway, gave you any shit for that. He was just like, okay, now no one in this family is working, but cool. And he's unfailingly supportive of her no matter what she does. If she's working, if she quits her job without, <laughs> you know, he's just unfailingly supportive. And then he's like, okay, so no one's working. Our money will run out eventually, even though we apparently are very rich and living in this mansion. Uh, and he gets a job. And he assumes incorrectly, I think, that she will be as supportive of him as he is of her. And that is the problem. And that is why he blows up. It's, it's because he's like, God damn it. And he says it to her. You know, he's like, have I ever told you that you weren't making Sydney a priority when it was just Sydney, you know, before they adopted Victor? You know, have I ever made you feel like you couldn't do both? And you're going to come at me with this? And I think if Julia had started by saying, gosh, of course it makes sense. One of us has to work. But I'm go. I'm losing my mind here. You know, I, th I think that would have been a totally different conversation. But since she just keeps saying, yeah, babe, great. But he can tell, you know, I think at first it's not necessarily that he's being oblivious. I think he's just trying to take her at face value. I want you to be supportive of me. You're saying the right words. I'm going right. to go with that. And then later he's like, I mean, that's like Sarah and Hank. Cause I was saying, you know, Hank's saying all the right words, but yeah, he's what's what he's not saying. Yeah. Our previous guest, Alicia, remember when she said it was like only 7% of what we say, our actual words, are like how we mm. communicate. Most of it is body language and tone and just like all kinds of other things. That that 7% really blew me away. I'm like, are you kidding? But yeah, no, that makes sense because Joel really does know his wife well. But Josh, where you turned me around is he knows her so well that he should know that she doesn't want to go to stupid coffee Wednesday with those moms. You know, he kind of laughs when she says it because it's like amusing to him. The idea of his wife who would hate these women at a coffee with these women. And I don't even blame him for that. Like sometimes couples, you know, they, they gently tease each other. I don't think it was malicious or anything, but I am thinking, you know, if she kind of needs a lifeline and this is her life now, superficial coffees with women who are like, we'll tell you about all the teachers who are in love with your husband. That's not nice. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. <laughs> I don't know. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that they, they just, they're talking around it too. They need to have like a more serious conversation. Yeah. I guess I really felt for her just, you know, and, and not having seen, you know, how much she might have been neglecting the family and how much he, you know, is maybe a, a gem of a father and all of this, whatever. I I mean, I came in seeing basically this episode and then I watched a couple of episodes before and I was just trying to get up to speed. But clearly I didn't see all the background on this. And to me, he just looked like a, a pig who didn't <laughs> did not like like was has been living under a rock and thinks that women should just like mm. be happy to, to be staying at home. And and how could you not be grateful for the, the opportunity to go and, and hang out with the other mothers and not have a responsibility of having to go and work? I have to go make money because, you know, we have kids and, and, and mouths to feed. It, it was this sort of this toxic sort of like I'm, you know, that was what I got from it. And it was 
driving me nuts. Like, I hated him. And the fact that he blew up and was, like, so hostile towards her. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was really angry. I thought it was, like, disproportional anger. It's like, why is he so upset about this? I like, And you don't talk to a woman that way. Like, what is It's like, she's a mother. She's, she's like, show some respect. You know, that was that was me not knowing the background on it. I just, he told her I he really... respected her. He yelled it at her at the top of his lungs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, but no, talk about tone there. It's because I respected you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I totally it's it's it occurred to me when we started talking about this. I'm like, I think I would have a completely different view on this. I think I would exactly have what what you got out of it because I think the only reason. I didn't blame Joel for blowing up is because I felt all that frustration of him really being, I mean, like his whole life was making cookies with the other moms and like being like super dad and being super supportive of his wife who went to work. So like words he said in this episode that would normally like really like, ugh, you know, like, like you always wanted to be a stay at home mom. Like, you know, to me it was more like he was truly saying you quit your job because you needed a break maybe try to take a break rather than obviously your place is here in the kitchen. Like, you know, I, I, I knew he didn't mean that, but only because of the context. Yeah. If I'd been dropped into this episode and even if I'd watched a little bit of others, yeah, I would have felt the same. When that first scene is classic Joel Julia, where they didn't resolve anything, No, you know, cause when he says that he took the job, I was initially sort of like, so does this couple just not clear any employment decisions with, <laughs> with each, each other? other? She no. quits her job without telling him. I thought she was right to be mm. taken aback. Like, oh, you got from our conversation, just go ahead and take it. And yet she never said, don't do that. You know, they, they left it in this indeterminate She said Victor place. has to be our priority. And he's like, yeah. well, right, I can do both. You did. I can do both. Yeah. And then they never, they just didn't clear that up. And then I thought the same thing happened when Julia apologized. Agreed. I do respect you. But I'm going to give you no examples of my respect. I don't want you to ever feel anything other than that from me. Ever. Even when I don't show you that I respect you. <laughs> like, I just, it's Sorry. unfortunate that you, anyway. Thank you. It's just this whole time since I've left work, I've been just overwhelmed or bored out of my mind. I'm not cut out for this stay-at-home mom thing, and I'm not fulfilled by it. You know, that sounds so bad. I'm a terrible person. Of course, you're not a terrible person. You got free time for the first time ever. So just give yourself a break. Just maybe enjoy it a little. <laughs> Try to enjoy it a but, little. Yeah, he knows her. He Try to enjoy it. But yeah, they. it was nice that she apologized, but they haven't actually hashed out the issues or made a plan for what their new roles are going to be. So he is taking the job. I mean, I'm still not even clear on that. She is going to stay at home all the time. Even though she just said that that I isn't can't fulfilling do and I can't do it. They are setting yeah. themselves up for disaster, I feel like, because, yeah, like, they, like, once again, yeah, you're right. They don't they don't resolve it at all. And she says, I respect. they both fell short in that conversation because... <laughs> when she says, I never want you to feel like I don't respect you. 
Well, you're basically saying, here's the way I want you to feel. Yeah. Just feel this way and we'll be fine. As if his feelings are solely dependent on him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you need to make him feel that way. Yeah. You she didn't just, say, oh, I, I would like you to react to me. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't say, sometimes I do take you for granted. We've actually had conversations about this before. So, you know, she does. It's our recurring fight. It's our recurring you know, fight is how much I take you for granted. Who works, who stays at home, and how do they value each other in those roles? The way that Jasmine and Crosby's fight is who's responsible and who's fun, and how do they think about each other in those roles? And it's like, guys, you need to. <laughs> this is coming up over and over and over again. And if how you're handling it isn't actually fixing it, you need to try some new strategies. Like actually hear each other in Julia Joel's yeah. situation. Yeah. And again, can they not just both work? <laughs> both of their neither of their kids are small. They're, at They're both school. in school. Yeah. Like Julia, get a okay, I get that maybe being a high-powered corporate attorney is a time suck that you can't afford if you want to be there for this transitional time in Victor's life, the way that you want to be there. That is enormously admirable. But can you find some job that only has you working primarily during school hours? Or can Joel do that? Or can, you know, figure yeah. something out. But yeah. one of us has to be here all the time. Why? Yeah. <laughs> it's a very rich It's a little bit of an show. idiot plot. You know, yeah. like, if you guys weren't both idiots, there's a solution here. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. It's a pretty traditional show in a lot of ways. How many of these couples have one stay-at-home parent? You know, like that just is bonkers. My, I had a stay-at-home parent because my dad was disabled. You know, like but before that happened, they both worked. Um, and I had a disabled parent, but she was not a stay-at-home parent. That's true. She, she was working. That's true. So anyway, all right. What else? What else you got? All right. Well, let's round this out with a couple who I think communicates pretty darned well in this episode. <laughs> darned. Darned. We've now reached Adam the point Christina. where we are punch drunk. That's where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> I have to hand it to the show. I was not at all interested in Max and his vending machine crusade. And I'm still not interested in Max and his vending machine crusade. But the way they have used that and spun it off into a whole bunch of other different story opportunities, yeah. him running for student council, which involves him having to interact with other students. And then now in this episode that there's a dance, he doesn't want to do the dance, but everyone else wants to do the dance. His mom wants him to go, but he doesn't want it to go. These are really inventive ways of exploring that story. <laughs> in a way, I felt like it was a good capsulation of what parenting must be. I mean, I obviously don't have kids, but you can't control what your kids are interested in, like vending machines. <laughs> you know, if my son or daughter came home ranting and raving about vending machines, I'd be like, boy, I really don't know um, how I'm supposed to help you here because I don't give a shit and nothing you say <laughs> is going to make me. <laughs> but you can always be on the lookout for how their interests create opportunities for you to support them and cultivate their talents or assist them with their challenges. And I feel like Adam and Christina are doing a great job with that. Yeah, they, I don't think either of them care about the vending machines. But Christina cares that he got all those signatures and she cares that he goes to this dance and learns that social skill. I mean, 
Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit. No, it's good. Fun fact at the beginning of this episode, the girls with lines at the student council meeting are Emily Evan Ray, who is the sister of Savannah Page Ray, who plays Sydney, Phoebe Kadams, the daughter of Jason Kadams, and Lila Trilling, who I'm assuming is the daughter of Larry Trilling, who directed this episode. Oh, that's fun. And I recognized... Phoebe from the season one episode when Max plays ball with her in the park. I was like, oh yeah, that's the same girl. That's two square girl. Yeah. Well, Josh, you mentioned this before, but one of my questions around this storyline was, did you go to dances and did you like dances? So Josh, you never went to any school dance? (laughs) I did go to some dances. I did, but they weren't my school dances because I wasn't in school. So like I Uh. did go, I went... Gosh, I think I went like to two of them, but they were like friends that I had had from like elementary school who like I had sort of stayed in touch with. And then they invited me to come and like I was, I didn't know anybody there, mm. you know. <laughs> Did you have fun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. That I was so. as convincing had- as Julia saying she wants Joel to take that job. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I think No dances I- in the army? Uh, okay. Yeah. I guess there were balls. Yeah. We would have balls, right? We would call them balls. Um, so fancy. um, Yeah. No, I, I, I had fun. I think I remember sort of dreading it at the time and feeling very uncomfortable. I'm kind of curious. Did you guys have your mom or dad like show you how to dance or show you how to, and then dance with you and like and pick the most romantic was... possible song. No, sorry. Okay, <laughs> okay. I did. I did feel a little bit weird about the music. I was like, wow. Like, and she just had it like ready to go, and she just walks over, and there it is. I was like, wow, that was really. Uh, I actually thought it was incredibly sweet, so I shouldn't have said that. But I yeah, also thought I do th- <laughs> right. I was like, how did she turn on that music so fast? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I was. Did 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 that happen? Is that a normal thing? Is that or I don't want to say normal, but is that a common thing? I was not taught to dance by my parents. But, you know, no. you're making me realize As that evidenced think... by my dance. Abilities. <laughs> right. I, I can't dance either. Maybe if they had. Like, I don't right. know if they had. Maybe I wouldn't have felt so anxious about it. I mean, I don't mm. know. Is that. It's a lovely idea. And it's not. Yeah. This isn't the only place where I've seen that. I, I'm specifically thinking of. The classic film, A Walk to Remember, where Daryl Hannah plays the mom and teaches Shane West how to dance. I freaking love that movie. So, I mean, I think it's something that is definitely prevalent in film and TV. But now I'm wondering, is it prevalent in life? Because Caleb and I are uniquely, like, maybe not able to answer that question because... I think it's the probably the opposite sex parent who would teach you to dance. And in both of our cases, that was the person in our family um, disabled and dancing wouldn't be easy for, you know, I can only speak for my dad. Which is ironic because I do know my mom danced in like high school and college. Yeah. On like, um, what did they, did they call it? Or was she a cheerleader? But I think she danced. I don't know if they called it pom-pom squad, but that's what they called it at PHS. I feel like that is what she did, where it was like cheerleader adjacent, but but it was actually more dancing than that. Yeah. Um, But by the time I was in high school, yeah, there was no showing me how to dance. Yeah, my, my dad too. Like, I mean, I remember being in high school and even asking my dad, like, when I get married someday, will you walk me down the aisle? And I mean, I was like genuinely asking, like, 
because he didn't like uh, people staring at him because he walked with a cane and he walked so slowly. And he said, of course, which meant a whole lot, you know, and of course then he died when I was 16 and I was a lot older than 16 when I got married. <laughs> but um, I, I mentioned that because actually there was a father-daughter dance at the um, I ran for homecoming queen, which is sort of funny because I wasn't very popular, but I had like the nerd vote. So I actually did okay. <laughs> I had the whole band behind me and I got like second runner up. It was very cool. And uh, anyway, there was like supposed to be, it's kind of, I don't know how I even feel about those father daughter things. Sometimes I think they border on creepy, but there was like a special dance where everybody danced with their dad and my dad was still living, but he was disabled and there was just no way that he would have uh, done. He just didn't, you know, he didn't go at all. And and I just sort of sat there watching all the other daughters dance with their dads. And then there's always like a father daughter dance at a wedding. And that always makes me, a little, that's the part of weddings that I find hardest actually. I just sort of like drink my drink and look down and, and try not to focus on me. It makes me very sad. And so, yeah, even though my initial thought was, oh no, that never happened and I don't have any feelings about it. The more I talked, I'm like, I guess I do have some feelings about it. It's a little <laughs> sad. Yeah. But um, yeah, so no, nobody ever taught me to dance, which I also, like you, Caleb, I think is pretty clear when you see me. I, I don't actually like step when I dance. I don't move my feet off the ground. I'm just sort of doing this sway thing and my feet are firmly planted. No one can see this. This is not a great thing on a podcast. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So. But did you go to a lot of dances in high school or middle school? No. I went to prom both years, both times with friends. And that's it. Yeah. And I guess I went to that one homecoming. But no, I don't really have a lot of memories of that. And I don't know. I, I know that Mark went to a ton of dances and I was always a little jealous. I wasn't jealous that he like had girlfriends and stuff. I was sort of jealous that he just was popular in high school and I wasn't. Um, and so looking at all of these like stacks of pictures of him, like doing the awkward pose with his arms around the girl, I'm like, wow, what an experience you must have had. We went to different high schools, didn't we? Like, I mean, we did, but like, we also had very different <laughs> high school experiences. And he's like, I don't know. It wasn't so great. So what about you, Caleb? Did you, go I mean, I know you went to prom with Megan. Yeah, I was the same as you. I, I went both times. At our high school, you could only go to prom if you were a junior or senior, or if you were going with an upperclassman. And a lot of my friends did go with upperclassmen. Like they would find someone and go with them, you know, every year. And I thought, no, I'm not even going to try because I didn't really want to go. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of social situation I am just, I feel really awkward at. And I like situations like this, you know, where you get to talk with people and yeah. and interact. And it's like a dance where it's just loud and you're all just kind of like goofing around. And that, that didn't strike me as all that fun. But I did have at least some like presence of mind to think, I should go like this is a high school experience I should have. Mm. So I remember very early on in high school, like striking a deal with Megan because hmm. she was she she went every year, I think. And I said, when I can just go without having to find a date that gets me in, then I'll go with you. And so we went both years. That's so nice. And, and I remember I mean, I don't remember a lot specifically from either prom. But my general memory is that I had a blast. So I'm definitely glad I did do it. The only memory I have is Megan and I doing the dance from the end of Romeo and Michelle or like some version of it. It's pretty great. And that the floor really did clear the way it does in movies. And you're always like, that never happens. 
the floor did clear and people watched us do it. Yes. And it's funny, I wouldn't say that I was popular in high school, but by the end of high school, I did feel like I owned the school. <laughs> and I did way. not. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Well, as I mentioned, we've got couples disagreeing about all sorts of things in this episode. And Adam and Christina are clearly not in agreement about Max going to the dance. Adam wants to just drop it. And even at the mere suggestion of that, Christina like storms out of the room. When they actually did discuss it, I thought... Man, talk about good communication. Yeah. Can we talk about this dance? Sure. What do you want okay, to do? Okay, so about? let's consider our options. Okay. Could reconsider allowing Max not to go, let him off the hook. Or we could still push him to go. In which case, I want to say there will be more dances, Christina. And there's plenty of time for that. Come on. I feel very optimistic about everything. I do. But I also feel like, and I just want to be honest with you, I don't know how much time there is. None of us do, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't want to miss out on any milestones. Here was my question about that scene. Who decides what counts as rational in an argument like this? Mm. And how do you decide? Because I thought the reason Christina wants Max to go to the dance is definitely understandable. Like I, I had no trouble understanding why she would feel that way. But, you know, as the episode title and the Rolling Stones say, You can't always get what you want. Christina should seize the day as much as she wants, you know, with her mortality more on her mind than ever before. But she can't make people around her do the same thing, too. And yet to say that her request or her reasoning is irrational feels really harsh. Although I do think it kind of is. I mean, she, in that scene, she explained why she wants him to go, but not why he should go. I mean, it's about her. It's not about Max. She's basically copying to that. I think Adam could be within his rights to say, I get that, but this isn't about you. It's about what's best for Max. And I just don't want to fight this battle. Anyway, but I thought it was great of him to recognize why it meant so much to her and then uh, endeavor to give that to her. I think it depends on what it is you're asking a person to do. And even for a person on the spectrum, this is a small ask. And she's worried she might die. So for me, the second she says to Adam, uh, this is how I'm feeling, like, like I just said out loud to the television, yeah, and so Max is going to that dance. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, like all she had to do. And now that in the context of our discussion here tonight, I'm realizing that this is the only occurrence in this episode where someone has stated the subtext 
instead of let it just be subtexted, you know, like, like yeah. with Julie and Joel, they keep fighting about, you know, Victor being the priority, but really it's about, you know, something else. It's about Julia feeling unfulfilled at home and same with, you know, it's not a work issue with Mark and Sarah. And so I think it's really interesting that he, Adam, didn't just have to be in the dark for this whole episode. Like, what is her deal? She's really, because it does seem like she's overreacting when she, you know, he, you know, my instinct. Initially. Initially, yeah. yeah I would think, yeah, why make him go? Don't fight that battle. The second she says why it's important to her, I'm like, oh, that way outweighs him just being like, I don't want to go. <laughs> it's like, tough. <laughs> You're gonna. Because this, you know what I mean? It was just such a, and I thought, this is why people should say the hard thing and what really matters to them. And, and, you know, I I think that could be a lesson to take away from this episode actually is their communication is the best. And it's because she says the thing that's, she's vulnerable. She says the hard thing and he hears her because he no longer thinks this is just a silly, arbitrary thing. Oh, thank you for explaining that to me. I didn't think of that. Josh, what do you think? You know, I I kind of agree with Caleb on, on, on this and that, in that, if you're keeping uh, score, it's one and one now. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. It's 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 about what's right for Max, and and you don't you're right. And maybe because I didn't really appreciate my experience going to a dance, and I was homeschooled, and so I didn't I didn't even go to high school. So yeah. like this idea that you know a kid needs to have these high school milestone experiences, and that I need to be alive to see it before I die is kind of different when you consider that like. I don't know, like my, my, like that wasn't even part of my life. You know, Max doesn't need to have these experiences. Like what if, what if he were homeschooled? I understand that she wants that that things are important and she is a timeline or whatever, but can you pick something else to be interested in? Uh, Clearly this is something that he's not interested in. He's probably not going to enjoy. Why make it about that one thing? Find something else to, to look forward to. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's me. (laughs) I just want to make it clear that I'm, not objecting to how everything went down in the episode. Yeah. I think it all worked out great. But it just made me ask that question to myself. Like, how valid of a reason is it because it's important to someone else? Like, And I think then what you do is sort of like Adam did. You have to gauge how uncomfortable is what you're asking the person to do. Is it something they could? And in, in their case, yeah, it turned out Max was fine doing it. And I really thought the like the compromise of I'm going to go for 30 minutes. Perfect. I thought that's a great idea yeah. because then Max knows it's not going to be forever. Mm-hmm. But like Melissa, just now when you were saying, "Oh well, you're going," I thought, man, if if I did stuff just because my family wanted me to do it, I'd be dating women now. <laughs> you know, like, well, but you know, yeah. that's a big ask. That's you know? a big ask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As opposed but to it's like you can't live dance. your life for other people, but. Yeah, if it turns out the dance well, it won't make me that uncomfortable. I can endure it for thirty minutes. Great, win-win. This is how you compromise. Yes. Great job, everyone. Yeah, great job, Adam. I, th- I thought this is a really good season for Adam. Yes, you know, much with, better <laughs> with Christina being diminished in some ways. He really is stepping up, and I thought his conversation with Max it was, was great. really terrific. Yeah, and. There, I thought, was proof that Max can be reached emotionally. You know, it's not that he doesn't have emotions or an inner life. It's just that he's not always able to show that to people in a way that they have been taught to notice them. Yeah, I was surprised by that conversation. I I agree with you. I think it was a really good conversation. It was a really good talk that, that Adam gave. But I was 
at the beginning of it, I thought for sure Max was not going to acquiesce. And yeah. then the fact that he did props to, to Adam, but also like it just kind of made me realize that, you know, humans, you know, are, are, are better than I think, you know, that they, they, they really do listen and they and they and they do come around and they care about other people, even, you know, even when you think that they they won't. And, and I was just thinking, you know, just the interrogator in me was just thinking like, OK, th- th- he, there's there's not there's no incentive for for Max. Why would he change his mind about this? Mm-hmm. And uh, and he did. And I, I, w- I was really happy with that. Yeah. I yeah. love that so much. And I got to say, I think part of the reason I felt strongly about he should go, and this may be really unfair to say, because maybe I'm not fully taking into account who Max is, but I really think he doesn't do things for other people almost ever. And I get that that's part of who he is. But like last episode was not a great episode for Max, I don't think. And, and you know, like he was just very awful to Christina. And I thought, you know, when you first learned that your mom had cancer, they said, you're going to need to be a little bit more grown up. And he really heard that. And then he has not been acting like that until this episode. And, and I thought, this is a grown up thing to do. Yeah. Sometimes as a grown up, you do have to do something you don't want to do. And I get that he's still a kid, but he's now an old enough a kid that if something really matters to someone else and it isn't like unsafe or or, you know, you'll live, you'll, you'll be okay. It's not like, you know, date women if you're gay. Like, that's not an okay <laughs> thing, you know. But um, I, I thought, yeah, do this for your mom. She has cancer. She doesn't get to control your whole life with that. But you, you can go to a dance. And so, yeah. Well, you know, and I was thinking about the title, You Can't Always Get What You Want, about lots of characters. But until you just said that about Max... I can't believe it, but I hadn't applied it to him. Mm. But Max, you can't always get what you want. Max doesn't want to go to the dance. Tough. You're going. Yeah. And it's not going to kill you. You'll be fine. It's going to be fine. I was thinking about it with Christina. Mm. And I was thinking, well, in her case, she ended up getting what she wanted. Yeah. And I think that last dancing scene, you know, which is maybe a little maudlin, like maybe a little overdone. I totally went with it. I it felt it. earned to me. I think a lot of the impact came from information we had in other scenes rather than being articulated in that specific scene. And then also once there was that payoff, it was really intimate and really quiet. It was just mom and son in their living room. But the look on her face. She was so happy. Yeah. And then, all you know, she just wanted him to go. The fact that she got to teach him how to dance. And I also thinking, you know, like she probably doesn't, touch him very much right I mean he doesn't like being touched that she got to hold her son for that long and dance with him and I that's why I think the song choice embraceable you Mm. was actually really wonderful because thinking of the you know the lyrics of that song from a mother's perspective to a child who won't usually let her touch him really sweet I hadn't even thought of that that's really good I love Mm. that no, I loved it too. I shouldn't have made the joke about it being a romantic song. It just, it's so I mean, of, it usually is. Yeah. I, you're not wrong. She just put that on and I'm like, oh, this is like the scene in the movie where you turn down the lights and you light the candles and you play this kind of music. I'm like, you don't have something kind of bouncy and light, but that's not what the scene is. The scene is, yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm joking, but I loved it. And so I, how can both be true? They just are. I, I sort of smiled at the song choice, but then I just went with it and loved it. So anyway. Well, like I said, 
I felt like we had several couples in conflict in this episode, and the the way they were handling those conflicts ran the gamut from incredible to disastrous. I I did a little ranking. Here's my personal ranking: <laughs> best to worst couples over how they handled their conflicts in this episode. In this episode, okay. Although I did this before our talk, I'm not sure I would stand by these all now because I had Adam and Christina first. Then I put Sarah and Hank, actually, because I feel like as far as they knew what was going on, they communicated clearly. But that's the one I saw. I'm By like, putting them on I'm... the list, you're calling them a couple. Go on. Well, true. Julia and Joel, Amber and Ryan, Sarah and Mark, Crosby and Marlies. <laughs> they were last. <laughs> actually, you just reminded me that when Marlies came in, I was like, you know... If this were just played slightly differently, you would believe that this is going to be some potential love interest for Crosby because it's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, we're fighting about this. And then we just start making out. But I'm like, no, somehow you can just tell that's not where this is going. Yeah. And I'm very grateful. But I thought, boy, you know, when Lily, <laughs> Crosby's love interest started there, they bickered. They didn't like each other. Anyway. Yeah, true. Anyway. Um, I like your rankings, except uh, get Sarah and Hank off that list. Um, he's her boss who sexually assaulted her once. That's not a couple. Um, but I... <laughs> you can cut that. I'm just really... No, that's great. Okay, good. I'm furious. I'm furious at him and her and all of it. And if you're going to be such a jerk to your lovely fiance, just break up with him already. God, stop torturing him and putting him through all this. I mean, she's Max medina in him. This is her red light on wedding night. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I don't even have a ranking, but I agree that Sarah and Mark were last and that um, Adam and Christina were first in communication. All right. So Josh, what, you, what, what else we got? We got, we're just thanking him at this point because I'm so grateful. Well, Josh, oh, what nice. are your final nice. thoughts on the episode? Yeah. You know, having been plopped in, I guess you watched a few, not just one, but. But yeah, what'd you think? And I don't know. I mean, I, um, I've had totally like mixed thoughts. I've watched, I watched the episodes a couple of times or a few times. And uh, the first time I, I watched, I was, I, I felt very sort of, I think I mentioned it before, just, you know, the, the, the veteran, you know, how it, it's, it's so kind of right on the nose and it's the stereotypes and it's tiring. It's tiring, you know, as a veteran to watch veterans get portrayed this way. It's true. It's valid and it's deep and it's necessary. And it still doesn't change the fact that, you know, you sit there and you watch and you think, ah, this is, yeah, this is difficult. And this is why, we have such a difficult time. Uh, but, um, you know, and then I watched it again and, 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 uh, and then I realized that, you know, it's just so much of this is about like, okay, well, you know, we have the cancer, you know, the mother that has cancer and the, and the kid with, with Asperger's and we got the biracial kid. And then we got, you know, I, all, all of this, you know, all of these things that, I mean, and, and, and the reality is that, I mean, that is, that is what our, that's what our society is now. I mean, and, are some of these things contrived? Are they a little bit, you know, maybe completely like right on the nose? Maybe. But then, you know, also it's like how many of these stories are, are are inspired by the actor's actual lives? Right. And like, who am I to say that, you know, that these things are contrived? I mean, what if what if she really does have cancer? What if he really is, you know, a, a married to a, a black woman and, and has biracial kids? I don't know. I mean, I can't I can't say that these things are. And as we've talked, we've talked about 
how you know well the actors play these scenes and and even like just deconstructing hank and caleb's observations about like how he didn't actually say any of these things like we're just assuming that he's a complete monster but like you know <laughs> but but what if you know what if, you know he didn't actually say these things it's like yeah it's actually really interesting um i'm i'm curious to watch more i mean i i, I wasn't convinced at first uh, just because I felt like it was a little bit like, oh my gosh, all these stereotypes, all these, you know, stock characters. It's like, oh, we, you know, we, you got to have all this. And, and, and look, there's the veteran. And, like, oh, you know, and then even just like being invited, it's like, okay, I'm going to come in and talk about the veteran and just talk about this. It's like, oh my gosh, it's like all this, you know, having to fulfill these, these obligations. And, but no, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to, to see, to see how they do it. And to see the actors be successful with that and to also just to accept that, you know, this is this is these are based on real lives and, you know, and, and the actors could actually have had these experiences. So, you know, yeah, I, no, that is such a good answer. I love that. Yeah. And, oh. Yeah. I mean. And it's true. I mean, it is it is interesting. Like sometimes I do feel a little strange, like, OK, we are going to ask people on who can relate to a storyline in some way. Is that weird or is that cool? It's probably both. You know what I mean? Like, and it is, it is like an interesting thing, but I think that's part of the reason I both love parenthood, but also a reason why this was a good show to do a podcast over. Cause we've said to people before that Caleb and I tossed out a bunch of different ideas. I don't think any of them would have been as good. Um, because yeah. you, Oh, we like friends. I'm not going to have people on and have these kinds of conversations to talk about, you know, I love friends, but it's just not going to be like that. I, I I think we could have deep conversations about most things, but I think that would have been um, harder. I think people can relate to something in this, partly because there are one billion characters on the show. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. And I also think it's true that like, I mean, I don't think either of us have ever argued that this show is groundbreaking in mm -hmm. any way. No. It's not. And But one of the things that it really does is that it does take kind of stereotypes or stock characters or I th I think especially stock plots mm -hmm. or situations like situations we've seen before and then it'll at its best it'll just find some slightly unique take on it or perspective or it'll find depth in it in some way and yeah and it does it is a great catalyst for conversation I think yeah, it, it has certainly proven to be for us. <laughs> so there's so much that, you know, people can relate to in in the characters and in the plots that, that come come about. And I can see how you could you, you could really reach out to a very a wide range of, of guests to uh, to get those experiences. That is by far my favorite part. I've loved getting to know people I didn't know before. So thank you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I mean, you you brought a perspective that I don't think any of our previous guests <laughs> i don't want to disparage them in case you're like i served in the war you know but <laughs> you know i don't think we have had any other veterans on this was a wonderful conversation yeah all right well and you could always follow us on social media uh like us on facebook follow us on twitter and instagram we are parenthood pals everywhere and visit us at our website parenthoodpals.com until next time may god bless and keep you always and may your wishes all come true